0: my right
1: here dog my right my welcome back. this is the Sunday puncher podcast. I got Tom here with me We gotta break down what I, I'm can you hear that someone has the audacity to set their alarm off? on their car while I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to do the intro here. Welcome back. What a <laughs> I great... really
0: couldn't separate the car alarm from the sound effects in the song. I, I had no idea that wasn't part of the song.
1: We get it, Tom. You don't listen to rap. Um, moving on. Uh, we had a great weekend of fights. I mean, ESPN and PBC, while ESPN did basically just air a replay of two fights we had already seen, those two fights happened to be pretty damn good. So we it's literally of action. Got two really good cards this week. Um, and and in terms of like the entertainment that they delivered, you know, everyone's got a take on how fights are going to be before they happen. But, you know, all we really have is our opinion of what happens after the bell rings. And, you know, we had a great weekend. So let's start with the big upset. Julian Williams walks in there, beats up Jared Hurd. Now, Jared Hurd. Definitely gave as good as he got. Jared Hurd um, tried to make it a fight, but he was outgunned. Do you think, heading into this fight, based off of how Jared Hurd looked, did he overlook Julian Williams? Yeah, I think
0: he did. I think that was part of it. I got to talk to both of these guys on the media conference call last week. And, you know, it, I, as, I'm so excited for Williams in the win. I mean, it was I was definitely cheering for him. I'm a huge fan of Hurd, but hard not to root for Williams. I mean, this was a real underdog victory. And, um, you know, since I got last week, Williams was taking this extremely seriously, viewed this as the fight of his life, you know, was not underestimating Hurd on the other side at all. I mean, he was... Really took the fight very seriously. He's you know been knocked out before, knows the stakes of what can happen in a fight. And Hurd is like a guy, you know. It's like I'm reminded of uh, someone who gambles for the first time, puts money in a slot machine, wins fifty dollars, and suddenly thinks they can't lose. Hurd has just been on an unbelievable run. I mean, he he came on Showbox in 2015, upset Frank Alarza beat uh an olympian in his next fight on a fight which was elevated to to be on cbs primetime, and then it just on and on got you know uh sort of at last minute his fight with tony harrison is elevated to a title fight fought austin trout he's the only guy to stop trout beat lara who was you know really the boogey, boogeyman of the division for years just everything has gone his way even in the fights where he's lost early on it's always turned around so i think at a certain point i mean this fight was all about being a hometown fight. I mean, I feel bad for him in that he did a huge amount of promotion, lots of stuff with local Fox affiliates, lots of stuff with local sports teams, um, you know, sold a good amount of tickets locally. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, um, uh, Jose Ramirez crowd or anything, but it was a good crowd. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was just uh, he he gambled one too many times. It seemed he just assumed things would go his way. And Julian Williams, very technically sound guy, very physically talented guy, and he just he had the right pieces to prevent Hurd from having a second half comeback. You know, we've seen Hurd outboxed early, but Williams fought a smart right fight for all 12 rounds. Shockingly knocked him down early. I mean, that's the thing we've never seen Hurd's chin dented. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that that is it. I mean, he seemed to, to take him for granted and had his mind elsewhere focusing on the promotion, the big hometown fight. Well, what was your takeaway on that front?
1: I absolutely disagree with you. I do not think Heard overlooked them whatsoever, <laughs> at all. And I think that's a really, you know, I that take is good in theory. Okay, and we hear it enough. It, this is not just boxing; it's it it happens across all sports, and we hear this take a lot. But I really think that, for the most part, that always happens when there's a clear a side. The reality is, this fight played out like every other Jared Hurd fight. What was different about this fight? That Jared Hurd went down? That Jared Hurd didn't have his late comeback? Those were the two differences because everything else was what you expect to see when Jared Hurd gets in the ring. The guy has no defense. We joke about that. Jared Hurd, you know what's really interesting is PBC debuted their podcast. I listened to the first episode. I'll tell you right now, it's not good. This one is better. And I feel like it's that bad (laughs) that I'm just going to come out and say our podcast is better um and, and i i have i I have hopes for it because I like the guy who does it, but not very good, but anyway, Jared Hurd had a really good quote he had a really good quote that is like in hindsight I'm gonna tell you what he said, but in hindsight it's like uh suspect quote he was talking about Jamal or Jamel Charlo, and he said that he knew or something along the lines he was talking about Jamel charlo losing to Tom Harrison, and he said. Jamel Charlo lost because he can only fight one way. He's a one-dimensional fighter. He has one game plan. And he thinks that the the when he's when he's challenged, his adjustment is to try harder at what's already not working. Brilliantly done. Succinct summarization of the style of Jamel Charlo. And you know what? I don't even think he's wrong. But you know who that's more true about? It's 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 more true about him. Because what adjustment did you see? You didn't see a single adjustment from Jared Hurd. And do you know why there isn't one to make? Jared Hurd, I love Jared Hurd. It's hard not to like Jared Hurd. And you know what? He probably made more fans out of this fight. But when it comes to being an elite top level guy, Jared Hurd is not in the same category as even in Arizona DeLara. And I know Jared Hurd beat Arizona DeLara. But Jared Hurd is pretty one-dimensional. And we saw that this fight played out exactly like all the other ones. It just so happened that he finally got in the ring with somebody who had the power to actually hurt him. To make him, to to zap away his energy so that he couldn't have that, that late onslaught that he usually does. And that was due to body work. I mean, Jason Welburn looked like a stud prior to... Jared Hurd actually trying in the fight and then ultimately stopping him. But did this look any different from the the beating that Jared Hurd took at the hands of Airslandi Lara or Austin Trout? Jared Hurd hasn't looked like a god, a good boxer since he fought Oscar Molina. Tony Harrison was carving him up. It looked like a Jared Hurd fight, and that's not to say that he overlooked Julian Williams, but rather Julian Williams came in with the right game plan. Julian Williams came in and said, I know what I need to do, and I, and I know what I cannot let him do. And he executed it perfectly. Jarrett Hurd didn't lose this fight because he just, you know, overlooked it. It's, he, he faced a guy who came in with a better game plan, with the physicality that could match his own. And, you know, it's funny. We heard before the fight, you, I'm sure you heard this, that even Mike Coppinger is tweeting out like, oh, Julian Williams looks bone dry. He's, he's he's, he's like, drained or whatever. no. He came in with the right game plan. He came in at the right weight so that he could take Jared Hurd's shots and give them and zap away whatever energy he has. So I don't think whatsoever that Jared Hurd overlooked Julian Williams. Jared Hurd came in. He looked like Jared Hurd. Jared Hurd is just not good enough to beat Julian Williams if Julian Williams is going to fight like this. Your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I I say from talking with them, I mean, I do think that was an element of it. We don't need to fixate just on that one point, though. I mean, it was a great performance by by Williams. I mean, Heard, you know, one of the reasons again, I say I felt he was overlooking him um, during the during the promotion and during the the media call. I mean, Heard mentioned numerous times he was looking forward to fighting about Jermell Charlo. Mentioned numerous times how the promotion was going. Seem less focused on Julian Williams. So, so that's you it's know, a good pivot for us. Again, it's, uh, anyway, so you want to move on to the next? Uh, well,
1: I mean, that leads into it. So you can basically pick up, but like, you know, now we got to talk about this future where, yeah, he did talk a lot and rightfully so. We all have talked a lot of Jared Hurd and Jermel Charlo fighting, but neither guy has titles anymore. I mean, a year ago, it looked like this was potentially. A pay-per-view fight down the line, but now we have 154, where Jermel Charlo and Jared Hurd, the two guys who were sitting atop the throne, they ne- neither of them have titles. Like, I mean, what does this do for 154? <laughs>
0: yeah, who could have predicted this? I think it's really exciting. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Jaime Manguea, who looked terrible in his last fight, very arguably lost his last fight, is now last the two. only. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, is, is the only undefeated guy. I mean, Brian Castano is, well, undefeated. But, I mean, it's funny. You look at all of, like, the top, you know, most of the top ten, and, and the guys have at least one loss now with Hurd uh, and Charlo tasting defeat. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I'll just sort of skip ahead. But, I mean, would you say Julian Williams is number one in the division now? I mean, I would. Uh, I think you rank him number hmm. one. You know, it's a he's really the real difficult u- question. I mean, Unified champ, yeah, what's your
1: justification for it?
0: Yeah, he's I mean, it's just on on paper. I mean, he's the the only unified champion. Heard was the clear number 1 before that with, you know, the the win over Lara and Trout uh with the multiple belts with the win over Harrison who has the other belt or one of the other belts. The only other person you put above that is Wanguia, but I don't think anyone even his supporters are really rushing to make that argument after how he looked in his last uh, you know, Again, outside of the Saddam Ali fight, really. Um, Yeah, so I mean, I think I would put Williams at number one. And I'll sort of just uh, go through my quick case here. I mean, after Charlo lost to Harrison, when we did that, like we did uh, the podcast afterwards, you know, yes. Would it have been big if Jermell had won that fight spectacularly on Fox as part of the PBC kickoff? Hurd had beaten Williams that, yeah, that could have been a pay-per-view fight. That could have been a really big fight that, you know, you start to talk about pound-for-pound potential. Okay, that didn't happen, but, you know, that could have made them potentially more money. That fight could have been on pay-per-view, but what we have instead is, like, such a great landscape for very good fights to happen. I mean, last night was my fight of the year thus far, no question. I mean, I haven't really waited in the weighted into the debate enough to know if that's a consensus opinion. It definitely is for me, just because, you know, the storyline and how invested I was in, in each of the fighters coming in. Um but, you know, it looks likely that they're going to do a rematch. I would still love to see Jamel Charlo against both of them, um and with all of these guys. You know, he had a great fight with Arizandi Lara, um, you know, and that's just on the PBC side of the street. If you were somehow able to, to mix in Jaime Munguia, like I, I've said, and I've said for a while since he beat Saddam Ali, I, I don't really, I sort of viewed him as being in the lower half of the top ten, and my opinion hasn't changed since then. You know, he's still an all-action fighter. I mean, I would love to see him mix, mix it up with these guys. It looks like Kel Brook might do something. I mean, Jesse Vargas again. I, you know, I don't, I, I sort of view those guys as being less competitive, but. There are so many good fights to be had, and it looks like these fights will probably now be on like Showtime or Primetime Fox instead of pay per view. That's great. I mean, you know, good for fans. We're going to see a lot of great fights. I mean, yeah, does it detract from the pound for pound pound for pound financial? Probably, but I mean, after last night, it's like <laughs> you know, anyone who thought Jared or deserved to be in the pound for pound top ten, it's like that's why you have to do the fights. You know, he are you isn't
1: smoking in like a car with the windows up. What's going on? Sorry, you're struggling.
0: I, <laughs> I went on Breathe. a little too long here. My throat's drying out. But anyway, uh, back to you. Anyway, let, let, I'm excited. Get a drink of
1: water, even or if Diet it's Coke. Uh,
0: you know a step away from the pound for pound picture. I mean, I will uh, take a different great, great. Uh, it's been a great series of fights, and we have a great run of fights ahead of us.
1: So I'll take a slightly different angle on this because I, I mostly agree with what you just said, but um, I, I think. Now we have 154, as you said, with a bunch of guys that have losses. And Jaime Munguia arguably should have a loss. Now, how exciting is the division? Like, that's a a question that legitimately needs to be, be asked. Because there's this old thing that people like to talk about, about Floyd ruining boxing by making it so important to be undefeated. Well, 154 has a situation where we've got a bunch of guys that are pretty good. And they've all beat each other. Is the division going to get the respect that it deserves for being highly competitive with multiple guys who are in the... Like, any of these guys could beat anyone. And we've already seen, to some extent, that that is true. Do we need an elite guy at the top of the division dominating in order for people to perceive it as exciting? Or are people going to see it exactly for what it is? We have a competitive division where it would not be shocking if, say, Jamel Charlo knocked out Tony Harrison... And even, like, it wouldn't even be shocking if Manguia got a win against one of these guys. You know, we're at the point where it's like, okay, what do we actually think about the, this division? Um, although I think it's unlikely that Manguia beats anybody. I mean, the the, the guys he's struggled with are really not the same caliber as, um, like, a Julian Williams or even a Tony Harrison. But, you know, styles make fights. So I'm I'm just going to say that. I mean, I really want to see Herd versus Monguya, and I know that's not a fight that's realistic, but I just want to see it because it's just it's just a, someone is going to die in that fight, I think. It's just like neither guy is just willing to block. It's like I do not care. Keep hitting me. You you like seriously, that's like Homer Simpson versus Homer Simpson. Um it, we also forgot that Erickson Lubin is out there. I mean, Lubin is right, about right. to come into his own, you know. Instead of being a 22 year old fighting Jermel Charlo, this guy's about to, you know, really get in there. And I, I don't know, Castano, I guess is out there, and not. We shouldn't leave out that Fandora is also coming. And um, if if that towering dude, inferno, exactly. Like I, I'm. Shell
0: is pretty good, although again, not really real. It's just. And you Glentapia. Know, I, I'm just gonna jump in. It's like, it, look, people want to call us PB Shoes pbc shills fine it's just like a lot easier in this case specifically 154 just to talk about their picture because there's so many realistic fights which can be made and the other guys you could bring in you know it's really not realistic those fights are going to happen anyway back to you
1: we also forgot arizona Delara. like 154 is yeah, yeah. perhaps now the hottest division in boxing but does it feel that way maybe not because the reality is as much as people complain about oh you the importance of taking losses is ruining boxing no you're ruining boxing by actually caring about the losses this is this is great i mean yeah it's it's cool to have these pay-per-view events where like you're you're shaking before the fight because both guys are undefeated and both guys knocked out guys in the first round or whatever but this is just as good because PBC could have up to 8 guys that are like legitimately in title contention, I mean, we didn't mention Arizona De Um We, we name drop Erickson Lubin just at the end. Brian Castano, who you mentioned earlier. I mean, they're deep. Sebastian Fandora, they are deep. And we have, like, any one of those fights is good. Any one of those fights is a good fight that deserves to be a main event on Fox. Except for, like, Fundora versus Castano. I'm not so sure about that one. But there are certainly other ones. Um, <laughs> but here's a question, Okay. With all those options out there, should Jarrett Hurd go for the immediate rematch with Julian Williams? I think he will,
0: and I think that's the best fight for him. Although, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, PBC, as much as I'd love to see him continue to be in the mix at 154, um, I could see they need guys at 160. So I could see him moving up to 160 to fight Jamal Charlo and sort of blaming the loss on the weight. Um which I don't think that was the cause of the weight, I but I could that. see that happen. I personally would love to him to stay at 154 and just keep this super round up.
1: Um do you have uh, anything to say about this cuz I want to pivot onto something else? I would say this. I don't think they should do the immediate rematch. Um I don't like immediate rematches first of all. Um for the sake of a rematch like I don't think that this fight went the way it did because it was a bad scorecard or it was just like, wow, we kind of screwed that one up. I think if you look at the James DeGale versus Caleb Truex, that was legitimately like a fight where it's like, okay, James just underperformed. Caleb Truex is not going to do that twice. And they did the rematch and they were right. James DeGale isn't that bad of a fighter. But then we just have these two uh, rematches with Miguel Burchelt and Francisco Vargas and Isaac Dogbe and Emmanuel Navarrete. And it's like, oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah, that went exactly the way it went the first time. Because these guys are who we think they are. And the question is, did the two guys that fought on Saturday night, were those guys different from what we normally see from the two fighters? And I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that there a rematch goes exactly the same way. I think this is a case where Jared Herd's, uh Julian Williams is going to have Jared Hurd's number, and the the best option is to move elsewhere and use the fact that Jared Hurd has a little bit of a name. I mean, sure, he's he's definitely not Canelo or something. He's not even Golovkin, but he's got a bit of a name. He'll, I'm sure he's. They're going to pop a good rating for this on Fox. Um, use that to become yeah. An the attraction. overnight
0: ratings looked very good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Those are all over the place. So I'll I'll wait till we see the actual numbers. But um, because the way that the ratings work doesn't translate exactly into, like, viewers consistently. Yeah,
0: sorry to derail you. But But as far as the overnight ratings go, it was a positive number. That's all I was saying.
1: I I think at this point, Jared Hurst is an attraction fighter. Well, that's the goal, you know? Like, almost like... The way Adrian Broner is, like, Adrian Broner's not out there trying to be pound for pound number one. Adrian Broner's out there to get – he's out there to cash checks and have sex. And I think that should be Jared Hurd's goal. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I, uh, I, I sort of answered the question too literally. But it's like, you know, just from a business standpoint, if Hurd can fight the rematch, there are two belts on the line. um, He's probably going to do that as opposed to sort of just sort of seeing what happens down the road in which he, like – might get to fight the like uh uh Jermell Charlo Harrison winner he you know it's like who do you want to fight Brian Castano and potentially lose with no belts on the line or fight like uh um J-Rock again with two belts it's like he probably would do that and you know for a chance to avenge his only loss as opposed to fighting one of the other guys but who knows we'll see what happens like I said overly literal answer the sort of
1: other topic I'd what wanted other, to say. One other oh, before go on. we get on. Oh, Sorry. Because we're Sorry. not going to really talk about the the Korobov fight. But I think moving up to 160 and fighting Korobov would actually be a legitimately good move for him. That sets yeah, up the Jamal Charlo it's fight. it's a lot of
0: risk for very little reward. I think they'd go straight I don't into know. the Charlo
1: fight. Korobov looked drunk last night. I smelled the vodka.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely lost the last three rounds of that fight. I don't think it was a draw. By but, the way,
1: this is all hearsay that he's an alcoholic. But, I mean, it's a funny meme. We'll just roll with it.
0: Yeah. A- anyway, just sort of getting back to that. So yeah, talking about 160, 154. That's so okay. We laid out the the strong case. 154 is stacked, at least in terms of good fights, if not pound for pound potential or like a big pay per view side. But like that's the great thing about it. So many of these guys potentially could move up to 160. And again, it's like they won't get a Canelo fight. All the you know, you got the big time happening on his Great, that's true. But then there's still a lot of fun fights you could do on PVC over time. But which is really interesting. It's like you say, okay, you've got all these guys, but you don't have a clear like pay-per-view A-side type of guy. What happens if and when Errol Spence moves up? You know, (laughs) it's like we already talked about the whole premise of the weekend is thinking too far ahead, you know, talking about like Jermell Trello versus Jared Hurd as undefeated champions facing each other. But like what happens if Errol Spence comes out of this? Errol moves Spence up, moves up. That's
1: He's his got division. so
0: many B-sides. Well, that's the thing. It's like you would think he, he could come in being favored against these guys. He, for size reference, like he has almost exactly the same phrase, uh, frame size as Julian Williams. They're basically the same size. So if you want to say what happens if Errol Spence fights uh, Jared Hurd, basically you saw at least size-wise what that looks like on Saturday night. So – yeah, I mean, that becomes very exciting because, you know, he's young. He could fight at 154 in his next fight. Like, he wouldn't, you know, in a title fight. Like, he wouldn't need a fight to, like... He'd fight at 200 if he wanted. His well... I you're guess, over I, here I, trying
1: to promote Spence abstract, like your you're Oscar fight. De La Hoya.
0: Well, anyway, the point is, his frame could easily take that. You know, he's been fighting at 152. He fought at 152 as an amateur. So, um, that starts to be very interesting. You have all those guys. It's like, you have, again, the appealing A side and suddenly you have all these B sides like... That that looks pretty nice. Talking about like you know the, the plan for Spence over the next uh, you know say like two or three years from now, if all these uh, welterweight fights come together as we expect they will. Anyway, um, that was the topic I've been trying to get to. Anything else to say about Herd or ready to move on?
1: I mean, let's just be real quick on this. So like we've talked a lot about 154. Do you agree? Because I agree. I think that this actually makes the super welterweight division um, a lot stronger than if Jarrett Hurd would have just came in and beat down Julian Williams. I think now we have a fascinating division where guys are going to get the opportunity to be in fights that matter that they may not have been able to. Because when you have guys at the top, they cast a large shadow over the division where – The other fights are important, but everyone kind of downplays them because it's not the top fight. That's really what's happening with Spence and Crawford right now where people are just kind of like, oh, who cares about Porter because he's not Spence or Crawford, and I don't think that's entirely fair. Uh, But now with these two guys who've lost, it's like, well, we don't even know who's the top guy here. What do you think? Do you agree with me?
0: Yeah, I mean, I already kind of laid it out. I mean, that's that's definitely my strong feeling about it. It's like I get – totally from a financial standpoint from a a sort of like pound for pound standpoint you you sort of have lost that from from a fan standpoint of just getting to watch good fights it's like you have so many good fights to be made so much you can do and you know again it's like when people are saying Who cares about Spence fighting anyone other than Crawford at 147? That's just brainless. I mean, uh, Spence has about $60 million worth of fights to do. I mean, in terms of revenue that can be generated outside of Crawford at 147, like those fights will happen. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's like uh don't expect him to fight crawford in his next fight the only reason people are talking about that is because Aram doesn't have opponents for spence to face like there are a lot of good fights to do at 147 and there are a lot of good fights to do at 154 even though they've lost again the pound for pound sheet i'm not saying they're going to be huge but put any of those fights we talked about at the Barclays center and they'll do eight to twelve thousand seats and you know with great crowds eight it'll to be t- good 10,
1: seats at barclays if i fought you there well so just to respond, like we keep saying
0: is like, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but about how strong the PVC's business at the Barclays Center is. But it's like if Lara versus Costano, which is probably the weakest drawing matchup out of that group, unless you start to bring it again, like you said, Fundura, who's like, uh, un, you know, not a name at this point. Like if that can do 8000, like that's the low mark. It just goes up from there. So. These are still – these fights are going to do good business. They're going to do good ratings, I and mean, they're going to be good TV. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But, again, I'm, I'm not going to pretend this is really for pound-for-pound for pound significance anymore, but who
1: cares? Well, I mean, look. There's only 10 spots on the pound-for-pound pound list. Those guys are all probably going to fight twice a year. That's 20 fights between those guys. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, that's 20 fights. Um, there are over 100 TV dates – across days in espn espn plus pb uh fox showtime fs1 um not to mention like sky cards and stuff so yeah we kind of need um more guys out there to fill those dates and fights that matter so um i'm quite happy with this one anyway let's talk about mario barrios who stopped juan jose velasco on the undercard um stopped him with a body shot it was pretty interesting that uh um, the commentators had no clue what it was because they weren't paying attention to the fight. Although it was still early, so, you know, I don't blame them. They're like, you know, none of the good stuff is happening yet. and Or maybe they were just excited to see Jared Hurt. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Regis Progray took eight rounds to stop Velasco in what was an underwhelming performance. Let's just be real here, okay? I love Regis Progray. We played his promo last week. Don't even try to say we're hating here. We love Progray. Is there reason, though... Given that Barrios did it in two rounds, to be excited about Mario Barrios as a, another guy to enter the 140 pound scene at the top. Yeah, I
0: mean, I've talked about Mario Barrios probably more than anyone on the boxing internet. Um, you haven't talked about it more than me. I have uh, no life. I think I actually reminded you about who he was on, but. Yeah, so he's on an eight-fight knockout streak. Sorry, I just had to count that on BoxRec. So, yeah, it's like the quick rundown for people who don't remember who he is. Like, he had fought very very young early on in his career on some of the the very early pbc cards and the 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 dawn of the pbc didn't look super great had some fights which went the distance weren't super exciting but you know he's only 23 now i mean he was some of these fights he was you know like 20 he 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 turned pro in 2013 when he was super young and slowly's really started to come into his own like he has a nice would be a big welterweight frame Uh, he's fighting at 140 you could easily see him by the end of his career going up to 154 he has the frame for that and he's he's slowly started to put everything together he's a virgil hunter trained fighter they're they're just at this point uh, you know picking away at contenders and trying to um, you know figure out when they're going to go for for a title run so yeah i'm excited about him. i mean you know, I, I'm not going to. You know, I know you're sort of trying to find a cheeky take on it by bringing the Regis Prograde angle. It's like Prograde destroyed Velasco. He got hit more than I think he wanted to. Like, he even said as much, but he knocked Velasco down, you know, three times in route to a knockout. So, I don't know. You want to say like uh, an eight round knockout versus a second round knockout? Sure. But then again, maybe Velasco at this point in his career, after that beating, sort of wanted to call it a day. I mean, in, in a little bit of a defense of the commentators, like they, they were sort of confused about what, ha- what happened because there was a body shot and then a head shot, and then he went down, and it was a thing where it was like a delayed reaction to the body shot. So it like didn't seem like he, the head shot warranted going down, but when you actually saw the replay, the body shot was what did the damage. So, yeah, I mean, Barrios, very good prospect. I mean... Do do you? I have uh, more to say about the PBC at one hundred and forty in general, but I mean, do you want to talk more about Barrio specifically? I mean,
1: that's what I was going to uh, touch on a little bit, and I've mentioned it in the past, but like they've quietly built up, they're quietly building up one hundred and forty. You may not be aware of it because these guys are fighting on undercards, but they're moving into that division. Um, similarly to what they're doing at one hundred and twenty-two, where they're starting to build out a, a little bit of a roster there. Um, where right now. I don't know, 118 is maybe Dazen, where they've got, they're the power player there. But um, 140 does look intriguing going forward for PBC. Um, But specifically with this fight, um, one thing that I want to say, it's a credit to Barrios, but more of a credit to Virgil Hunter, is with the exception of when Amir Khan has stepped up, um, he continues to get better in every fight. And I think that's Barrios as well. Like Virgil Hunter... I've made a lot of jokes about him as a trainer. I'm not a big fan, or I've not—not not that I'm not a big fan, but I have been critical of Virgil Hunter as a trainer. But I can't deny that the guys he trains seem to get better um, every fight. And there's obviously limits there. Like Andre Berto is just not going to be Floyd Mayweather, and Amir Khan is not going to be Terence Crawford. But when those guys are fighting you know, not the best competition, they tend to look pretty good, and Barrios is really starting to to win me over, I I think I literally said the same thing last time, where like, Barrios didn't look good early on, he just did it, but he has turned it around, he looks like he's actually going to become a player at 140, and um, if they could sign, I guess Progre is really the only top guy at 140, not locked down, I guess Baronchik is one of them, if uh, they can lock one of these guys down after the World Boxes Super Series ends, you know, we could see a path to building um, Mario Barrios, who, I you know, maybe he could draw. Maybe this could become, I guess, one of the next faces of PBC. I don't know. But it looks like there's some potential here. There really isn't. I'm shocked because I I did not see this coming. Yeah, it it
0: is sort of interesting. I think both of us are kind of just waiting to see what the PBC has up their sleeve at 140. I mean, there's a a big chess piece, which you didn't mention, which is Mikey Garcia. He's kind of when he didn't fight for the one when he didn't fight to defend his uh, 135 pound belt and it went up for grabs, Luke Campbell and uh, Lomachenko are going to fight for it he he was on the pbc inside pbc boxing show and he he was a little cagey but he said we're kind of just trying to feel out my next fight could be at 140 or 147 and i mean there i don't know if he said that directly but it was kind of implied if he's not fighting he said, at 135 yeah, he, could be he, 140 or 147
1: he, i mean he left it really wide open like he was even down to go back to 135 at some point but um, he did say also, though, that his next fight was going to be at 147 because, I don't know, he, he's on some delusion that he thinks he can win a title at 147, which eh, I'm not sold on.
0: Well, he said he was looking for a title fight, and it looks like the other titleists are tied up. So we could see him take some time off, maybe try to acclimate to the weight better. But I think realistically, you could still see him fight at 140 again. Yeah, so you know, so anyway, he
1: makes like an Incan title.
0: I love that belt, by the way, that Canelo fought for—the Mayan belt uh,
1: or the Aztec belt. Is there? Are there any other uh, Native American tribes we can use? <laughs> That's how we should I, classify all titles.
0: <laughs> Once again, though, I'll, I'll just say I, I, I love that belt. It was uh, no, it was a uh, nice belt.
1: I'll give, I'll give it to the belt. But
0: yeah, so so just to continue on, oh, I hold mean, on, uh, hold on.
1: On the subject of belts, in the Jared oh my God. fight, tangents I,
0: on tangents. I don't know tangents. if
1: you noticed this. But the, the W. Uh, was it the WBA? The WBA belt is now the official belt. That's the only belt I recognize now. And I'll tell you why. That belt had side plates. And it had the Jarrett Hurd logo on the side. No stupid pictures of old retired boxers. No, it literally had Jarrett Hurd's logo on the side plate, like it was a freaking WWE uh, heavyweight title i was a <laughs> like universal title like that shout out to, to the wba See, now i just You've want to keep going over.
0: on this topic talking about how awesome daniel bryant's like earth no. Earthstone stone belt was. but oh I, dude, God, this is far more interesting
1: than you talking about mario barrios nobody cares yeah You're i'm just gonna finish minutes my into the
0: podcast anyway uh mikey garcia big chess piece could fight at 140 again uh regis progray I think a lot of people thought he was just going to end up at top rank, like he's promoted by Ludabella, but like in a co-promote or build up to a Terrence Crawford fight just because, you know, he would be like a big unattached name. That's if he ends up winning. I I always qualify that. Josh Taylor is a very good fighter. He he could definitely end up winning the tournament or or Ivan Baronchik. I think that's less likely, but, um, you know, he's fighting Taylor next week. Anyway, so – is say the World Boxing Super Series winner or even, say, the runner-up if the runner-up ends up looking good or, or even some of the other guys, you know, some of the people after the World Boxing Super Series is The guys done. who
1: look good, like Creole Relic.
0: <laughs> it did not, yeah. And
1: Terry Flanagan. So,
0: again, I'm saying, if, if anyone comes out of it looking good, I think we can disqualify both of those names. But anyway, yeah, it's like they're building up some prospects. We'll, we'll get into this later, but there's a, another prospect fighting on the Deontay Wilder undercard Warner next Roldes. Yeah, so um yeah, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting, you know, both with what they have and um, what they're building up. I mean, they also, it's also Robert
1: Easter if you Yeah, like, like he you could very well see him weight.
0: slot into uh, 140 eventually. You think that'd be a better fit for his frame, so. Yeah, we'll Probably see what
1: 160 happens. 160 would actually be a better fit for Robert Easter Jr.'s frame. <laughs> have you seen this guy? The dude is like a yeah, skeleton. Not.
0: Yeah, it looks like an animated corpse, but... Um, he's still thicker than Fandora anyway, though. This was a very... Oh God, I, I love the towering Inferno. I, I get pumped
1: whenever he fights, but... Have you ever seen his Twitter? Like, look at his Twitter. Like, oh, I, don't, I, have, I don't mean to make fun of the like guy.
0: Is it like Twitter or
1: something? Like, no, no, no. From, it's it, like, yeah. the dude looks like he's in high school, and he's just like a high school kid having fun.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, I have He looks like such a dork. Like, yeah, he'll be wearing, like, T-shirts right, that well, don't fit. Like, you, takes glasses. one to know one, huh? Uh, why you got why you got to come at him
1: that dude would beat you down
0: uh yeah i don't doubt that yeah anyway we're getting t- tangents on tangents on. so tangents, anyway but, i'll just yeah, say this barrios over all this table at 140 mikey. uh and it'll be interesting to see if they try to get on another w wbss and what they try to do with mikey yeah I, that could I'll have been said this
1: Progre is going to wind up at Dazen. that's my prediction
0: Hey, very possible. I mean, if they if they want to keep shelling out money, I mean, I could definitely see them uh, paying the most.
1: It just seems like such a, a, um, a pro-grade thing to do. Uh, but also, um, Korobov versus Aleem was a pretty good fight with Korobov fading pretty late in that fight um, and Aleem nearly taking the fight. I mean, if that fight was 12 rounds, it's very likely that Aleem might have stopped Korobov. Um, I don't really have anything to say about this. Is there anything quick you want to touch on with this fight? No, I thought it was
0: a little bit disappointing. I mean, you know, we talked about uh, the the Julian Williams herd fight, that it was like the, the favored guy lost, but that sets up future good fights in the division. And I feel like this was one where, like, it was a draw kind of out of nowhere, but – I don't feel like it really moves either guy forward that much. Like Korobov didn't make a super strong case for the Dramal Charlo fight. I think a lot of people were surprised about his performance in the Charlo fight, but the more time that passes, I think people are kind of like, eh, Jamal looked bad on that night, but he's just going to kind of go on about his business. So it's like, could we see Korobov or Leem in with Sergey Derevyanchenko? Speaking of like the 154 yes. to- 60. I think that's likely. Not I think in a headline
1: card, though. Keep ma-
0: yeah, that'll be like an undercard. to keep matching those guys up. If some of the 154s start to move up, you know he's still there. But he, I, I don't think he really did well enough to to warrant a Jamal Charlo fight. But I think it's fine for both guys. Uh, Like Emmanuel Leem a few fights ago had an absolute war with Evgeny Kichrov. So, you know, it feels good to see him come back. He then also got sent to hell in an absolutely stunning knockout by Hugo Centeno, who then got sent to hell by Jamal Charlo. So it's, I don't know. I mean, it's like good for Leem for coming back to life a little bit again. I I think we'll see some, some mix of these guys against Sergey Darianchenko and Jamal Charlo. And, you know, that's fine. I mean, 160 division is all at the zone so i mean these are all like you know realistically like second or third tier fights in the division but if they're going to do those as undercard fights you know that's fine or potentially headliners as b-sides against ramal Charlo again that's
1: fine i i what we've seen with these fox cards is in general like they've created more fights than they've than than not you know historically in boxing we've seen fights where they just everything's building towards one thing but these fox fights have been so unpredictable and shout out to the matchmaking because everyone complains about them that the the betting lines don't reflect it but the fights wind up being really close like the Derevianchenko Kolke fight is another example um that it actually just created more fights to see that you think would be 50-50 just like this Korobov-Aleem fight um and yeah I, I agree Korobov would be a great opponent for somebody moving up I already joked about Korobov um, getting uh, Jarrett Hurd, who moves up as as a good move, but I mean I really don't have anything else to say about this, so we can move on to Miguel Berchelt's rematch with Rod or sorry, not the guy who beat Rod Salka, Francisco Vargas. Um, Francisco Vargas looked really bad in this fight. I mean, like he looked like a guy who was trying real hard, but like he just. It, it was just not going to work out for him. Like there's nothing on his punches. Miguel Burchelt is so much more athletic. He's more physical than him. Um, Burchelt just beat the hell out of him. And at some point you got to like wonder like why these promoters sometimes do these rematches. Um, This was a rematch that, I mean, coming off of the first fight, did you really think that this was going to go any different? Like, what was your thoughts coming out of the first fight? (laughs)
0: I mean, zero reason to expect it would go any different coming out of the first fight, and even more so with the fights that have happened since then. Um, yeah, it was kind of a needless... This is one of those, it's like, do you like flush power shots? Well, you're going to get a lot of flush power shots.
1: But did both main events.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's... I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a little bit gruesome. You know, it's like, you're going to see two guys get destroyed exactly the same way they were the first time out. But, you know, at the same time, it's not like... Um Vargas looks like a total bum necessarily or Dogbay. Maybe that's giving them too much credit, but it's like you were seeing sort of high level destruction happening. Um, you know, more on the A side than the B side, <laughs> I guess in terms of the skill on display, but um I mean <laughs> yeah. Sort of a needless rematch, but you know it sets uh, Burchelt up for for some better fights at ESPN. And I don't really know how many other good opponents he had. I mean, when he made the decision to fight on ESPN, it was kind of like, you know, uh, what, what did you want to have happen? You know, what 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 better fights were there to do?
1: I think you know, on some level, when a guy like Vargas loses a fight, there's naturally a, a, like a, a want to put him in a rematch, but Really, if you think about it, like, this was the worst idea. And, like, I, I don't want this to be seen as criticism of Burchell because Burchell did everything he was supposed to do, and he did it beautifully. Burchell is a talented fighter. He's very good. And, um. but, like, I'm more looking at the, the matchmaking perspective because if we trace Francisco Vargas's career, when he, like, arose to, like, being in the public eye or I guess in the boxing public eye um it wasn't like he had this like sh- wipeout performance of some fighter it was more like hey uh francisco vargas just got into a war he nearly got killed in the fight but he won in the end and it was like oh wow francisco vargas we got to pay attention to this guy and then he has like he proceeds to just have war after war and like so much so that he fights um steven smith and it's like wow this guy's like a year and a half removed from basically becoming like a world champion and he already is starting to show the signs of like this is not the same guy anymore and then he goes and gets beat up by Miguel Burchelt and that's you know all well and good and then he comes back he beats up Rod Selka or whatever and like nothing led me to believe that this would go any differently like Francisco Vargas has been in enough wars that Burchelt was never and will never lose to any version of Francisco Vargas and so I just feel bad for a guy like Francisco Vargas who gets put into the situation because his style, like there's guys that can fight out of their prime and they can still do good. You know, they, they've got enough defense left that yeah, they're going to take a loss, but they're not going to get absolutely obliterated. Francisco Vargas has zero defense. I mean, the guy just goes in there and is like, oh, Miguel Bertel is bringing the heat. Well, I'll just bring the heat back. And it's like, oh, crap. These guys are just basically throwing down, but Burchell is just pulverizing him. Um, so I, I really just—it was a gruesome rematch. Like, if if Julian Williams had beat, they they do a rematch with Jared Hurd, and he beat the hell out of him. Like, it wouldn't even be that level because like time had passed has passed between these the, the when these two guys fought each other. But if like Jer- Jared Hurd fights, he's lost to Julian Williams. He goes and Erickson Lubin beats him up. And then um then they do the fight, it's like, okay, that was n- not really necessary. Um, but I mean I just wasn't a fan of this fight. Although I I mean I I am not gonna lie and say I didn't enjoy it because I kind of did. Um it was, it was a great performance from Burchelt, who I like. Um What do you what do you think about this talk? Because during the broadcast and all during the week, we're starting to see a lot of talk about Teofimo Lopez getting his shot at Miguel Berchelt. Um and like maybe boxing fans are like in love with that idea, but can you think of any reason why boxing fans should like not really be interested in a fight between uh sorry, not Teofimo Lopez. I meant Burchelt. Um Burchelt and Lomachenko. Or would you rather see Burchelt fight the winner of the Masuki Ito um, Jamel Herring fight?
0: Um, I think we could very well see both. I mean, I think the Ito versus Jamel Herring fight is not a super good fight in it in the pound for pound sense but it's for another belt you know you get the wbo belt in the picture uh burchelt has the the wbc belt um so okay you get a unification fight that sounds big um you fill more top rank um You know, headline slots. Lomachenko has a fight lined up. He very well might fight Comey, so that's another fight. So, you know, you start to stretch this fight out a year or two. They try to build the case that Burchelt is the clear number one in the division. He already has a strong case. He's the number one. I I go with uh, uh, Tank Davis in that argument, but, you know, it's a matter of what do you like more. Um so yeah I, I think that's a very natural progression you 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 do a unification fight between the winner of those two fights and then down the road put Percheltin against Lomachenko they claim they have the number 1 at 130 against number 1 at 135 that's you know that's, you know, a strong argument, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, Davis really hasn't done enough. Uh, you know, he has that good win against Pedraza, but outside of that. So, um, yeah. And even if you remove that talk of whether or not he's better than Davis by proxy, it's like either way, it's a good fight. I mean, Lomachenko is going to need opponents. He's, you know, said he's not like a pay-per-view star. It's like, he's not a big star in the context of him being one of top rank's very, very top draws. But in the United States, he's still like, you know, one of the bigger draws. So that's a good fight for Burchelt, good fight for Lomachenko needs opponents. I mean, yeah, it, when when Burchelt made the decision to, to fight at ESPN instead of the PBC or even DAZN, you know, this is kind of the writing on the wall that was going to happen. Do I think Burchelt has the potential to beat Lomachenko? No, but, you know, again, it's it's like if it's one of the better fights they can do, they should do it.
1: You don't think that it's kind of weird that very frequently in boxing the perceived best fight to make is between guys moving up in weight in this situation talking about um, Burchelt coming up from one thirty to fight Lomachenko at one thirty five. Like I- I'm not a big fan of that. I'm never a fan of that. I don't ever want to see like that's not the fight I care to see because while like it like. There's built-in excuses for that. Like, if Burchell goes up and loses to Lomachenko, well, he has a built-in excuse. I don't want him to have a built-in excuse. I want a 50-50 fight where both guys are acclimatized to the weight and there's no built-in excuses. I don't want to to see people undermining Lomachenko because, oh, Burchelt moved up in weight. No, I want to see Lomachenko fight Comey. I want to see him fighting guys at 135. I do not care about the 130-pound guys. I don't care about... Javante Davis. Javante Davis should fight guys at 130. You know, that. that's my take. I'm not a fan of it. Um, if Burchelt moves up and he, and he grabs a world title or he beats up Comey or something, all right, cool. I think that makes sense for a big unification. But I'm more interested right now, and even though it's still really early. I think I would rather see the building of the Teofimo Lopez uh, and Lomachenko fight. Like, give Lomachenko some, some mismatches until Lopez can raise his star level, and then let's do that fight. I don't really care about Burchelt moving up to fighting or to fight um, Lomachenko. And, and I'm not, we're not going to talk about this, but I do, do just want to mention that there are accusations coming from Javante Davis, and I'm sure there are others out there, that Miguel Burchelt's on PEDs. We'll move on. Isaac Dogbe came up short in a rematch with Emmanuel Navarrete. And if you didn't watch these fights, specifically this one, I swear, I'm not sure that this fight was any different from the first fight. They might have showed a replay, and I don't—I would not even know. I wouldn't know. If this was a work and they, they did the same match over, I would not know. Because Dog Bay looked as terrible as he did in the first one. I mean, we got to ask the question— his is, is Dogbay the most overhyped like meme fighter that we've seen in the past five years? Like he's he, it might be even worse than Julius and Dongo.
0: <laughs> go go blue machine.
1: And, and I and I like Dogbay, He cut a great promo, but really if you we, the bell has to ring at some point. And the bell is the bell rang and wasn't pretty. Um yeah, I mean look. Uh I'm not going
0: to fault Top Rank at all. I enjoyed the Dog Bay run. I think the Dog Bay run is probably over. <laughs> you know, That's 122 quick run. 122 has never been a money division. It's never it's I, you know, I'm trying to think of who the historically great champions of 122 are. I mean, it 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 just usually doesn't happen, you know. So you had Top Rank was trying to say that Jesse Magdaleno was the best guy in the division just cuz he happened to be someone signed to them who had the WBO belt that they wanted to promote. Well, okay. He wasn't <laughs> and dog Bay destroyed him, but then we got to see dog Bay against, you know, a, a Japanese zombie. And then he got destroyed by Navarrete who, by the way, does not look too good himself. I mean, I, I remember going into the dog Bay fight. I watched, I didn't do it, watch a huge amount of tape, but I watched one Navarrete fight on YouTube and he looked slow. He looked like he threw his punches super wide. He looked like he backed up, predictably with his hands down and that's the same Navarrete we saw <laughs> in these fights like he would get clipped by Dog Bay he would throw super wide punches but Dog Bay really was never as good as we thought he was I mean to me I thought you know coming in he's like compact throw straight punches it looks like a good style matchup for Dog Bay but when Dog Bay's 5'2 and you know has the height and reach of a straw weight and Navarrete has similar height and reach to Leo Santa Cruz. I mean, that just didn't work. I mean, and Dogbe kept making the same mistakes over and over again. He was so predictable. He kept leaning forward. You know, it was sort of the short fighter trying to fight short, but Navarrete could just get under him with those uppercuts and just pick him away from the outside. I mean, it was Navarrete vaguely reminiscent of Antonio Margarito. I, I don't know. I don't know what the takeaway from this is supposed to be. It was like... Dog Bay upset Magdaleno. So it's like, oh, Dog bay's pretty good. But
1: Magdaleno was never good.
0: Right. Exactly. It's circular reasoning. It's like, is he good because he beat him? Well, okay, Then he beat a zombie and got destroyed by, you know, a pretty unheralded fighter out of Mexico, Navarrete. So I don't know. Are we supposed to pretend now that Navarrete's good? You know, (laughs) I I think (laughs) Navarrete's actually good
1: just from watching him fight. I I think he might actually be
0: good. I, I mean, I think Roman has the best argument for being number one in the division. I'm but, not I mean, making just... that
1: claim, but we can say he's a good fighter. I think just from, like, look, you don't have to fight the best opposition to be seen as good. We just progre fought nothing but jabronis for a while in his career. But we all knew this guy's good. And I I think, from what I see with Navarrete, the dude might actually be pretty damn good. And I mean, I it might have been unfair of us. Tests.
0: Pretty, I mean... It's got so many visible flaws, you know.
1: Um, I mean, that was yeah, but the 122 thing. Just, is just to back is up, it's like,
0: well, yeah, well, it's always sort of the funny thing. It's like you, you think of a guy like Jarrett Hurd or like Jaime Manguiya, where it was like, okay, they have flaws, but they have such so physical advantages. That they can negate the skill of other fighters, and then it's like, what happens? Like Jaime Anguilla got a robbery, you know, won a robbery in his last fight, and Heard lost his last fight. So it's like, you know, that that only works for so long when the flaws are so visible. And it's like, well, he's he's big and physical, so he's going to win these fights. It's like that, you know, that doesn't that doesn't work forever.
1: Um, we should move on. No one cares about one twenty-two at this point because Dog Bay is probably made a lot of people look stupid by uh, looking so bad both times. Um, but, hey, promotion is a beautiful thing. Look, look at this. I'm not
0: going to fault Top Rank. He he had, a, like, a good gimmick. No, Top Rank played this you beautifully. Him. And, you know, now they have a Mexican – I'm sure they're just fine having a Mexican fighter, assuming they have options on him that they can, you know, continue to promote. I'm sure that's just fine for their fan base.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think Top Rank wins either way here because – Yeah, Dog Bay's the guy that they signed, but if they have options on Navarrete, then sure, you have another Mexican draw, and if we know one thing in boxing is you can never have enough of those, Um, even if they're not as good, or not that good, like Jaime Munguia. Um, Okay, let's get on to the news. The big news of the week was Canelo, his fight with Danny Jacobs drew what... They said was a peak of seven hundred thousand streams on Dazn and worldwide they had one point two million people tuning in. Is this a good or a bad sign for Dazn? I think
0: I think on its
1: own, it's it's don't like talk I would say too much, Tom. I know you you've been salivating yeah. about this all week. You got to keep this succinct.
0: I actually don't have that much to say about this. I'd right, say I'll like talk for an hour. A B Sorry, plus no, kidding I already. Did. A B plus outing like you know Dazn spent a lot of money to get this fight on. I mean, it was a pay-per-view. It had fewer streams at $20 per month or $10 per month than it would have gotten in terms of pay-per-view buys. I, I felt this was kind of, you know, it's like you you can't know exactly, but this felt like something like an 800,000 800, pay-per-view buy fight. Just, you know, again, with a very unscientific looking at Reddit traffic, looking at social media, looking Dave at Meltzer right here. Google trend data. Yeah, again, very unscientific. I'm not going to, you know, but it felt like about an 800,000 buy fight. Canelo's last few fights have done over a million buys with those who are with bigger B-sides. So, you know, okay, it's somewhere below that. DayZen put on subscriptions. They've started to release some numbers for the first time, so we know that they've had huge churn. Um, half the people who signed up for the Canelo fight in the fall on a free trial unsubscribed before ever having to pay anything. The free trial is gone in the U.S., so all of the people in the U.S. territory at least um, had to pay some either 10 or $20 for the fight, but if it was $10, that was based on you know one-year commitment. So even better for them. So, yeah. Again, I'd say a B plus. Like, it, it's sort of a misnomer that I, I. It goes hand in hand with this. To zone. Um, the perform group financials were their quarter, quarterly financials went up this week on their investor relations page, and there were there were some takes. Someone posted an article on Reddit, and it was a lot of people misunderstood that data. Like, you know, there was some talk about their debt, which is, you know, that that, that gets kind of technical, and I'm not really going to get into that unless you want to get into it. But if um, you could.
1: Sp- explain it like a five-year-old what the takeaway was because otherwise i can explain it but if you can explain it like a five-year-old yeah, I, can, I
0: can explain it very the, the quick takeaway from their financials which was like yeah i would say hold on
1: before you do that i yeah. what is the popular consensus takeaway that people are are running with but what does it actually mean
0: yeah so okay so we'll give a slightly longer take the the, the take on like Twitter and Reddit was people were saying, wow, these are great numbers. And that's really not – I mean, again, I know – OK, great. People want to say we're PBC shills. But really, I, I would say that no reason to say hugely positive Maybe better than bad. But that's the most you can say about it. As far as the ratings, as far as the financials, you really can't draw anything out of it. So again, I'll say very succinctly. The big headline was DAZN debt is reduced and they've increased investment. OK, well, what does that mean? Dizone is owned by a rich Russian guy, so they don't have outside investors. What really happened, and this is not, I'm not, you know, spinning anything, they, so it's like they aren't in debt. There's a rich Russian guy who, uh, basically the company owes money to him, so that's a different way of expressing, so basically what they did is they now say that he has an ownership stake instead of the company owing him money. So instead of having debt to him, he now owns a larger stake, which could be relevant if they're trying to borrow money in the future, get other investments, potentially take it public in the future, because before they had basically a high debt ratio. But so it's to just like that. It would be like it's if it's all paperwork. They're just yeah, I'll just uh, they're just describing differently the way that his ownership stake exists. This so his ownership stake exists. Let me put in this that in the English. Owes him money over fall that?
1: Yeah. So it's basically like if I have a car and I you loan me the money for it and you took the car back so technically you now own the car but it's still mine and I owe you money but you don't own any money what?
0: Yeah or like if you own a small business like this is something you know not getting too into this but I mean my family used to own a business which we sold a few years ago but this is this is what you do I when you have it. a business. So, uh, well, not going to comment on that. But if you like e- own a car, you can have the car in the name of the corporate. You know, it's like it can be like a corporate vehicle, and you use it for business related operate you know purposes. But you mainly use it as your own car. It's like, does the corporation own it? Do you own it? it- it's a paperwork distinction. So, you know, there was this weird thing where people are saying, oh, they reduced their debt. That's great. And it's like that's that's not really what happened if you look at their financials. So then the separate thing, it's. Like you know, the other takeaway from their financials, like they spent a lot of money, they have huge uh, sports rights commitments in terms of the amount of money they owed, but they also increased their subscribers, which follows. You know, it's like any business. It's like if you add a new product line, you're going to sell more than zero of that new product line, but that doesn't in itself mean that the company is successful. So, the the general premise for a streaming service is. If you can increase the number of your subscribers, your overhead cost is going to be relatively similar. You know, it's like for any web business, it's like the the cost of like distributing that contest is not con, uh, content is not super high per user. So it's like, great, you have scale advantages. If you add content and you add users, uh, that's that's like. Uh, a strong business model. The problem here is they have to spend so much on content and this is a live event. Live events, it's not like Netflix which has evergreen content. Once they bought House of Cards, they can keep playing it forever to new subscribers. DAZN once they play the Canelo fight, it has almost no value. This was one of the things that I talked to people at DAZN during their launch events, you know, sort of saying is there an evergreen value to these events? And they said, you know, no, it's like uh Almost virtually 100 percent of the views are in the first 20. You know, are live, and then you know the the rest are kind of within the next 24 hours. Some people go back and watch stuff later, but it's a very very small amount.
1: And I think it's so, shrinking because of social media. It's like, oh, I could watch 45, or I take an hour watching a fight, or I could watch these three. 45 second clips on twitter and i'm done i don't need to watch it
0: right so anyway you said give me the 45 second version or whatever i went on longer than that but it's like yeah it's it's like they spent a lot of money they increased their revenue but you know they're they're not close to being profitable it's not like you know it doesn't present a clear picture and regarding the debt thing where there was an article where it's like the big headline was like they reduced their debt it's like no they're one not really that in debt for whatever that's else. worth, but yeah, it's it's just it's just a paperwork distinction of you know how the owner's like ownership stake is 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 on paper.
1: This is how you don't pay any taxes, huh? Uh,
0: no comments <laughs> on to any of these points. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, Tom, we have to stop. I, I we have to stop. This is too much. Yeah, we can move on. But that that's the. I'll general just say takeaway.
1: this: the the, the seven hundred thousand streams is a pretty good number. Um, yeah, pretty
0: good for sure. Don't mean but, to be shitting up, but here's pretty the
1: thing. Good. This is why Stephen Espinoza has talked about. Um, he, he did an interview where he talked about like I think Chris Mannix asked him, "Why don't you lower the price? Like, wouldn't it be more effective? And you guys would sell more oh, yeah. pay per views if you lower the price." And Espinoza's like, "You know, we've done the research on this, and and we've reached a good point where the price point matches the the buys that we're going to do for the for this amount will work out." And like if you. If you do the math on this, uh, I did the math on Patreon this week, um, which I, I definitely do not remember. But like um at nineteen ninety nine for seven hundred thousand, that's like f- about fourteen million. Um fourteen million in, in revenue generated from, from people ordering the fight. But like if you translate that, like, well, how many pay per views do you have to sell in order to reach that fourteen million number? That's only two hundred thousand buys. So basically in paid Thirty-something million dollars for Canelo to do a two hundred thousand buy, or not to mention like fifteen or whatever it was for Jacobs. Uh, for these guys, you know, almost fifty million dollars to these guys for this fight, and they did a two hundred thousand pay-per-view buy. It's it's the equivalent. Okay. So like, it's not the best idea. I mean, look, the days in experiment is a long one, and I preach patience with PBC at the beginning. Like, we don't know what their long-term plans are, so it's 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 best to just shut up let them waste their money. It's not your money. So you can shut up about that. Um, and let them, let's just see if this experiment works. And so far, guess what? It worked out. And with days of well, the same thing, they have,
0: Oh, oh, sorry. Problem. I thought you were talking about to zone. Yeah. Sorry.
1: No, what days in has about a year before we're going to start to know if this is working or not, because unlike PBC where they got deals at Showtime and Showtime was cool with doing deals with them. Um, the Dazen is going to know pretty quickly if they're going to become a player in like the NFL, the NBA, the MLB negotiations when those sports rights comes up, come up. And uh, but and luckily, that, that, that time is coming quick. So we'll know. Um, but I, I think this is good. But I don't know what Dazen defines as good. So it's really hard to tell. Just from my own thinking, I think they're probably happy. Um, let's talk about Errol Space. Yeah, one,
0: one last thing about this. Yeah, it's like, as you said, I mean, you, you, you said it very succinctly. It's like, for this pay per view, it's like, what did they do? They took a pay per view, which would normally be $75, gave it for $20, did and did less buys than it would have done if it had been on pay per view. So, yeah, it's like, for this month, is that good? No, but if the people subscribe, you know, stay on for a year then it starts to look good, and we'll have to see. It's like so far their churn has been pretty bad, but, you know, we'll see what kind of momentum they can keep up. You know, it's like, again, it's like there's really – there's no clear takeaway, but it's it's definitely a better than horrible result. Like prior to this, they had really struggled to move the needle at all to get like anyone to sign up, uh, you know, speaking like over 100,000 of like real users and not people on like free Canelo trials. So this is the first time they've really moved the needle at all in the U.S., and it's a question of how they can, you know – Retain this going forward, and what amount of people will treat this like a twenty dollars pay per view and just cancel immediately?
1: All right, Spence and Porter, that seems like it's going to happen, but there's a wrench that has been thrown in this week—a huge wrench, something that I did not foresee, and that is that it's going to be on regular Fox. I, I did not see this coming; that they would not put this on pay per view. um, and the question is, you know, we just talked about Daysin and blah, blah, blah on a pay-per-view. Um, Spence is obviously coming off of a very successful pay-per-view with Mikey Garcia that far exceeded expectations both at the gate and as well as in the buys. But is this the right move given what I just said?
0: I think it's an interesting move. I don't think it was, you know, necessarily what they had to do. But I think it's really interesting that they did it this way. You know – Say okay, they did it on pay per view. It does two to three, somewhere in probably the two to three hundred thousand buy range. We've talked about this before. Porter and Spence have kind of overlapping um, fan bases, and also on paper, it's really hard to see a way that Porter wins. So great, you know, that's not great for a pay per view. You want you want a fight where you have uh, opposing fan bases arguing that their guys are going to win. That's what really drives big pay per views. And you know, it's not like Spence is a sufficiently big name that. Uh, you know, he can carry carry it to a huge number just on his own, even even if they don't view it as being a better. Great. So that's that's sort of, yeah, but still, if you do two to three hundred thousand buys, that's still a lot of money. Or you do it on Fox, you do a huge number, potentially expand the audience. You know, if you go above and beyond what they've done, you're bringing new eyeballs to boxing that could potentially raise the viewership on all of their shows. Um, yeah, I, I think it's super intriguing. I mean something also so it was um the, the, the date thrown around was August third. Um Derek James's trainer said that's the wrong date. So it starts to get really interesting if they push it further into the fall because then you start to see uh potentially marketing alongside uh Fox uh NFL, which and which WWE. Could be, Yeah, I mean, that could really drive the number up if they decided to do that. So that would be really interesting if they decided to do it in September or later. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, as fans of both of the guys, I'd prefer to do the fight earlier because the sooner they fight, the sooner they'll be back in the ring. So for that reason, I'd prefer to see it in August. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm super intrigued by it. Love that it's the Barclays Center because I'm for sure going to be their ringside. Can't wait.
1: Um, Yeah, I don't really have too much more to add. I just think that this is I think doing this on regular Fox is going to pop a huge rating given that if it's during the NFL season, there's so much um, marketing that they could do for it. And um, I think it would be good, not just for PBC, but for Fox to start adver- or selling advertising spots for PBC and have, uh, I guess, um, a better track record of ratings and what they could potentially do to get um, the better ads and charge more for advertising um, we're not going to go into that, so we'll just move on to. Um...
0: Yeah, I'm actually. I want to respond one little bit with that. So it's like the the sort of you know the the, P, the PBC haters shorthand on Twitter. You know, it's like what was the what was the shit take on this fight? Oh, they're they're not doing it on pay per view because Spence is not a pay per view star. It's like okay, well, I'm just snoring. That's that's a pretty boring shit take. The the sort of if you want to have a negative take though, something people aren't really talking about. So. W- No one knows the exact details, the way the PBC's um, deal with Fox is structured, but it's very likely there are sort of minimum ratings numbers that they need to hit. So if they're coming in below where they're supposed to be, it's possible they're doing this fight on Fox to try to get that, you know, sort of raise the bar, get the average viewership number up. It's possible, but it seems more likely they're doing this for positive reasons and trying to in terms of just trying to, you know, it's like a rising tide raises all ships, you know, get more eyeballs and sport, raise viewership on all their shows. And, you know, the other related thing, which I think we're going to get to, um, Pacquiao Thurman was just announced for pay per view, so you start to get into a little bit of a pay per view fatigue situation. There have been a lot of pay per views this year. This is a good way of building goodwill of saying, okay, we could have done this on pay per view, but this is a freebie for the fans, and I think I think that's a good move. I mean, I'm happy about it. I'm happy to not have to spend that money on pay per view. Doesn't matter because I'm going to be there live. But you know, anyway. I mean,
1: I disagree with that, and I don't even like that's a stupid take. If you have it, then you're dumb. Okay, <laughs> because here's the reality. Fox is probably thrilled with this deal. And if you don't think so, go look at the UFC deal they had. They had zero cut of the pay-per-view. They got... they UFC was getting similar numbers to, to what PBC is getting. And they paid three times as much. Uh, this is simple ep- economics. Fox must be thrilled that, hey, we're not even paying that much for this content. We're only paying $60 million a year. And they're delivering what we were paying, you know, what was it, $300 million or something for... Uh, For for UFC. I'm pretty sure Fox is really happy with this. Plus, they got that nice check from the the pay-per-view between Spence and and Garcia, and I'm sure they're thrilled. And this will pop a big rating. And look, Fox is all in on live sports. Like, have you noticed that American Idol is on ABC right now? Yeah, it's because Fox is saying we need to go live. It's all sports now on Fox live events. You're gonna see grease the musical and you're gonna see WWE Live and Boxing Live and whatever else. They got freaking bowling and all these other things. They care about live stuff. And and that's just where Fox is going um in terms of what they see is necessary for their future. Um let's talk about Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman. It was spoiled by Mike Coppinger and hopefully they don't pull his credential and make him cry <laughs> like the UFC did to Ariel Hilwani. Um I'm just kidding. It's clear Fox probably told him to tweet this because um, it's smart, pops a rating, we get people interested. Um, Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman is official, although we've basically known that this is going to happen. Everybody knew except Dan Raphael, apparently. Um, this is going to be a, a Fox pay-per-view. And um, let me ask you this question, because Manny Pacquiao is over with top rank for a long time. Terrence Crawford rises up. Even at 140, the, the, the question was, not a matter of if, but when, they would cash him out. And have him fight uh, Manny Pacquiao, but then never happened. So he leaves Top Rank, and now he's going to fight Keith Thurman. Like, what does this tell you about Manny Pacquiao, and maybe why he left Top Rank, or maybe there's nothing to read here.
0: Um, I mean, God, that's an interesting take. I mean, it was definitely I didn't the even right give
1: move. Me take, bro, you're, you're the well, person to I, give me the take.
0: Uh, well, it's an interesting take to even invo- invo- of you know invoke Top Rank to not talk about like who do you favor. You know, there are lots of ways you can look at the fight, but anyway. Um look, Pacquiao made the right move, there's no question. I mean, this is why a lot of people were scratching their heads when Terrence Crawford decided to stay with top rank. All the big names in the these divisions, one hundred forty seven specifically, but uh some you know, uh, one fifty four as well if anyone ever wanted to go up. Uh the names are a PBC, you know? Um Pacquiao got $10 million to go to Australia to fight Jeff Horn, which is, you know, a pretty big number. But then he got like $300,000, uh, to fight Lucas Matisse on ESPN plus. Uh, meanwhile, he's making, you know, uh, 12 plus million for the Broner fight, depending on how the, the pay-per-view came in after uh, pay-per-view numbers came in. Um, he's going to make, you know, s- probably more than that, almost certainly against, uh, Thurman. So, yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, you know, he, he's he got a fight down the line with Mikey Garcia, potentially, if they can get that back together with, with you know, Spence, potentially. So these eight-figure paydays are going to keep coming in, whereas, you know, he really didn't have options at top rank. You know, Bob Arum kept, you know, trying to humiliate Pacquiao in the in uh, the press, trying to get him to take a Crawford fight, which would not have paid him as much money as any of those options. Um, yeah, it was a good move. Um, he's really extending his career.
1: Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to these fights. Um, I like. I really got to give Manny Pacquiao credit here. Um, I've been called a Manny Pacquiao hater for so long, when really that's not the case. I, I like Manny Pacquiao, and I got to give him some respect here because it leads me to believe that Manny genuinely might have wanted to fight Terence Crawford, but other people, you know, people who say that they know stuff on Twitter about him, maybe those guys were the ones that didn't want him to fight Crawford. And look. That's the right move because Crawford, uh, rightfully so, would destroy Manny Pacquiao. Like, that's not a close fight. Um, But, um, I mean, Pacquiao's out here actually trying to make these big fights. I mean, it's perfect, I think, um, this fight. And, like, he's actually trying to secure his legacy and make sure that nobody forgets about him. You know, that he doesn't get relegated to being, like, the other guy Uh, in Floyd's generation who Floyd beat and wasn't as good as Floyd, but also was a big draw. Like the way Miguel Cotto is going to be remembered. Um, Manny Pacquiao is trying to, to, you know here's where it's appropriate. Manny Pacquiao is daring to be great. He's what, a 55 year old man who's going to fight Keith Thurman, who's kind of in his prime, but also kind of like uh, his body's just brittle and breaking apart. Um, I I really like the fight. There's a lot of intrigue here. Um, I mean, do you think that it's right in thinking that Keith Thurman has a real shot at losing?
0: Oh, totally. We don't. We don't know the shape, state of his body. I mean, this could be a Sergio Martinez situation. Oh, like he could. He could be over it. Heartbreaking. I mean, it's sad to say that, but yeah. I mean, he, and, and not because I'd
1: want him to win, but actually to just any fighter for that to happen to them.
0: Very vulnerable in his last fight. I mean, you know, we sort of forget how lowly regarded uh his opponent was coming in i mean you know th- that was not good i mean look i was there live i've spoken up for thurman and said he looked better than people felt he did on tv i mean he, no question he got hurt in the fight but um yeah i mean this this very well could be uh that type of situation i mean that that definitely what saying why did Pacquiao take the fight. I mean, I think he took the fight for sure as a winnable fight. I mean, he was their ringside for the Errol Spence fight. That would have been bigger than the Thurman fight. But Thurman fight is big too. And I think he had a felt he had a much better chance to win or at least, you know, do well in the fight. Which again is a shame. I mean, if you look at uh Keith Thurman 2016, 2017, beating Sean Porter, giving Danny Garcia his first loss, he was the clear number one in the division. But, you know, then he gets, you know, struggles very heavily with Josecito H- Lopez, who, you know, again, it's like Josecito Lopez, great, he's resurgent, that's a good story, he's working with Robert Garcia, but, um you know, did not look good against Andre Berto a number of years ago, did not look good against Marcos Maidana a number of years ago, I mean, eh, you know, ugh. anyway, uh, again, I, I, I just, it's upsetting to even talk about it, that Thurman could have fallen off, because I mean, he was supposed to be, you know, the great foil for... Uh, Errol Spence not Terence Crawford you know it looked like he was going to be that guy but we really won't know and I mean that's one of the things that which makes this so intriguing I mean every poll that I've seen go up I've seen a lot of people do this on Twitter and even just anecdotally but I mean there are huge amount of casual fans who are favoring Pacquiao all of these polls keep coming up 50-50 so I mean Thurman isn't so obviously over it that people are flocking to Pacquiao and you know again pacquiao is sufficiently old it's like you know you don't know what he can do here but he's coming off a good performance against broner you're seeing all these 50 50 pulls i mean this is going to be great i mean this is a fight which reinvigorates old school pacquiao fans um american fans definitely have something i mean pacquiao's popular in america i mean nothing wrong with that but um you know thurman has his fan base it's something to look forward to if he can win i mean that's a legacy legacy defining fight for either guy i mean with pacquiao Win here for sure adds to his pound for pound, uh, his all time great credentials, even if Thurman looks faded. And if Thurman wins here, you know, again, it's maybe on paper Pacquiao's old, but it's going to be the biggest win of his career. He, he could very, you know, if he looks impressive, uh, very good chance to reestablish himself as number one at 147, or at least right there in the mix with Crawford and Spence. Whereas, you know, going in, he, he's dropped off from that. So huge stakes big money fight on paper. I mean, I can't wait for this. I mean, this is the definition of a pay-per-view fight.
1: Um, you know, I don't blame anyone for thinking that there's a real chance that Manny Pacquiao could beat Keith Thurman here. Um, but I would also say that you're wrong. And <laughs> you start so many takes with just your, <laughs> you, you, you got to give him a compliment before you, you just take him down. But look, here's the thing, we are really going to make this assessment of Keith Thurman, who was pretty phenomenal for 10 rounds in the fight against Jose Cito Lopez, and one bad round, and all of a sudden, this guy is freaking Lucas Matisse quitting on, against Victor like, he, like, this is, come on, everyone has a bad round, okay, but Let's be real here. Like, Keith Thurman still looked very good. He finished the fight really well against Josecito Lopez. And in my opinion, that was the best thing that could have happened because this is literally the perfect scenario for anyone who would want to put on a pay per view. Like, if Thurman had smoked Josecito Lopez and basically showed up and he was one time. And Jose Cito Lopez was, like, in there looking like Orlando Lara or something. Fans would see this as a huge mismatch. Keith Thurman is a top welterweight. Manny Pacquiao, while a top welterweight in name, in skill, is far from it. And a guy like Keith Thurman is the wrong style for Manny Pacquiao. And I believe that is actually true. But, look, Thurman's a top welterweight. Manny Pacquiao's old. You know, maybe... Yeah, Thurman has injuries, and people are like, "Okay, well, Thurman, you know, ha- may have a shot here." But then he goes and has a scare in his fight with Jose Cito Lopez, and then Manny Pacquiao looks as good as he's ever looked <clears throat> against Bro—or not as ever looked, but he's looked as good as he's looked in years against Broner—and like everyone is thinking, like, "Oh wow, Manny Pacquiao could really do it." I- I've I've been fooled by this before. Okay, I will admit it. I've been that fan who believed the hype. I don't, I'm not going to do it no more. I could be wrong. I could, I'll could. i come back on this podcast on, on July 21st, probably July 22nd, because I'm going to go to the fight. July 21st, I'll come back, and I'll just say, I was wrong. Keith Thurman was as bad as, like, that, you know what we say? He was who we thought he was? Yeah. Thurman was who we thought he was against Jose Cito Lopez. But I don't think so. I don't see it. I'm going to believe who's looked more consistently like the way that we last saw them. Keith Thurman or Manny Pacquiao? Manny Pacquiao has not looked as consistently good as he was against Adrian Broner as Keith Thurman has looked against Jose Cito Lopez. That's not the case. So I'm going to bet on what's happened more frequently, more often. That's Keith Thurman being one of the best welterweights in the world. And that's why, but good for them because they've got the storyline. This is going to be the discussion. Manny Pacquiao still has it. And I posted the... The tweet for the announcement, so I got all the replies in my inbox because I stupidly didn't turn off disable inbox replies, and I saw all the people like, "Wow, well, Manny Pacquiao's got this," or "Manny Pacquiao is still going to do this." You know, Manny Pacquiao looked extraordinary in his last fight. He's going to do this. Keith Thurman was terrible against Jose Lopez, Blah blah blah. But I mean, that's promotion. This is exactly what you want. Um, you know, th- this this is going to be a successful pay per view. Fox did a really good job the first time around. I think they'll do a good job this time. You know the only thing, and this is kind of like a a tangent, but the one thing that I think is going to might hurt the promotion of this is that they need to pay for video from HBO or Top Rank to show other Manny Pacquiao highlights because that Keith or sorry that Adrian Broner fight is just not going to do it after I see it for the four hundredth time.
0: Eh, you have knuckleheads like me who can post stuff online. I mean, you know the the the. There's a pretty big infrastructure of fans who can post old clips now, um, but yeah, I, I get it to some extent. But no, I, just to go back to what you were saying a minute ago, yeah, I mean, I look, we've this story has been developing over the last few months, and yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, um, it's been kind of crazy. Like one year ago, if you were talking about Thurman Pacquiao, you know, it would seem like a cruel mismatch, but. You know, you have these pieces come together that, you know, this is what we said, after the Broner fight, you can project anything onto this. If you want to do, after that fight, it's like, how much does it really mean to beat up Adrian Broner? Really? Um, Probably not that much, but, you know, with the way that it looked and the highlights he got out of the fight, like, you could put Pacquiao right at the top of the division against any of those guys, or you could do a lower-level fight against Like Omar Figueroa, like Pacquiao wouldn't come out looking bad if he took a lower level fight that maybe like Spence would get criticized for taking. But he also did well enough in, you know, with his long resume that he could credibly take one of the top fights. And, you know, the Thurman fight as well, it's like he didn't look so bad. It's, It's, you know, it's not like he actually lost or got knocked out or something, but he looked vulnerable enough that suddenly, you know, Pacquiao fans who want to see you know one last glorious performance see blood in the water and are ready to pounce so I mean I, I had the same reaction as you were it's like a year ago it would seem crazy to do this fight and I was like wow they're really doing this I mean it's just amazing again it's like with Pacquiao who thought there was this much money left to be made in his career a year ago you know it just seemed like he was done I did well, you know, again, it's, it's... But I'm brutal. Like, I will, you, I will keep you guys You fight a in very questionable forever. fight against Lucas Matisse in, in which oh, Matisse man, is so falling down that. where punches weren't even landed. Yes. Then you have, you know, the Broner fight where, again, it's like, okay, won a decision over Broner. I'm not sure how much <laughs> that means. And suddenly we're doing a gigantic pay-per-view. So crazy. Boxing is a crazy sport.
1: It is. Um, what about this? Mike Lee's going to go from doing subway commercials being out of shape, going to school at Notre Dame or whatever. Uh, oh, God, I have a really bad joke. Like, it's just terrible, but I'm going to make it. Can you it. give it
0: to me and then, like, yeah, just scrub it if it's too uh No,
1: I mean, I'm not scrubbing this. No, 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 no way. Uh, but he's going to fight Caleb Plant, and this is going to be kind of on the undercard of Pacquiao Thurman. Uh, the joke, it's not really a joke. It's, you know how I'm probably the best promoter in the world right now. Like, I have ingenious ideas to promote fights. Um, sure. I got another one. In order to promote this fight properly, um, Caleb Plant needs to say that he's the one who uh, is going to beat Mike Lee up. And he's, it's going to be basically like the Notre Dame fire uh, in the fight.
0: Oh jeez! Well, I think you need to workshop that one a bit, but there's a, there's a solid joke premise there.
1: I mean, it's uh, it's really just I'm just trying to like come up with some edge lord comments <laughs> for the promotion. It, you just slip that one out of press at a press conference, and Caleb Plant is down for it. Like the dude basically made innuendo that Jose Ben or David Benavidez. Oh likes my to do god! Coke. Yeah,
0: needs to keep his nose clean. I, I that's some quality trash talk.
1: Yeah. Well, you know. I definitely I I I'm good at coming up with stuff like that. Nothing else though in life. Anyway, um, do you think it's a smart idea to put this like on a regular Fox headline card before the pay per view starts?
0: Yeah, I mean this is you know we're really getting into the weeds of the business. I I think it is. I mean the prelim cards always do good ratings. I th- I think it's a good good lead in fight. I mean we we've heard we've strongly suspected that Fox is going to make a big push on um. Caleb Plan. I mean, he's appeared on a ton of the events. He's appeared on a lot of their side programs. Um, you know, he's got a lot of star potential. He's coming off of a very, very good performance to start off the year against Jose, Jose Uskategi. that did very strong ratings. So we've been kind of expecting this, that we're going to see another big appearance on Broadcast Fox. It's It's kind of interesting that they're doing it this way instead of doing it like a separate week. Um, but Mike Lee is not really, you know, it's not like, it, you know, he's really not a top name at 168. So if they want to do a softer touch, they want to get another really like highlight real performance under his belt. I, I think, you know, you, you can't separate the Mike Lee part of it. You know, it's not like he's fighting David Benavidez. You know, it's not like you're skipping all the way. To the end of you know (laughs) i think again it's like i'm just laughing now thinking of jared Hurd and jermel charlo but if if the stars align that's a huge fight a a year or two from now and if they don't again it's like similar to that situation you'll have some other good fights but um yeah this this is a lower level fight I, i think this is a good way to do this i mean i think even for the main broadcast like there were people who were criticizing like The Spence Garcia undercard are saying it was worse than the top rank Crawford undercard, but it's like there were a lot of titleists and recent titleists. You know, David Van um oh god, I'm forgetting the name of the guy, the 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 bantamweight, um (laughs) who has the bad reputation. Um Keep
1: ah. going, keep going.
0: And ah, man, you're you're torturing me here. Um yeah, Neary. Yeah, Luis Neary. But uh yeah you could have just dropped the Neary name in there you know who I was talking about. But anyway, so I I think hopefully this means that the undercard will be even stronger than that one fight. Um anyway, uh back to you. Thoughts on Plant doing that fight doing on a broadcast.
1: So what you said is true that these under uh, I know I gave a long rambling answer. These but prelims yeah. are successful and that's why they do them. But I I just don't like it. Like you have two. You cards. get
0: completely overshadowed. I mean, that's the clear negative. Like, that, no, yeah, that's, well, that's not the fight anyone's talking about.
1: Yeah, and, and like, there's 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 like negative things there. Like, one, Fox has to promote two cards instead of one. Um, I, I think like that kind of splits the promotion, and these guys don't get the attention that they m- might ordinarily would. And it's like, is that good? Um, but like, Fox was very successful doing this with the UFC. And I think they see it as pretty beneficial. And and clearly, they um, see that doing this is going to work. And I mean, they did it before Mayweather McGregor. Uh, They did it before Spence um, and Garcia. And they're going to do it again. And this is actually going to be the best fight that they've done so far on one of these prelims. you know. And look, I might be just like an old crusty boxing fan who's just not receptive to new ideas. And look. If you don't think you're one of those boxing fans, chances are either a, you started watching boxing like in April or, um, you're lying to yourself because as boxing fans, we tend to reject new stuff. Um, we saw, we saw it with PBC. We've seen it with any new camera innovations or, or innovations to the bug or even, you know, new networks getting into the, into the mix. It's just boxing fans are like all like the, the things like, Oh, it shouldn't do replay and stuff like that. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, you know, it could be that I'm doing that. And look, I, I, I would admit that maybe that's probably the case. And I just want to see it the way I, it's always been. But like, look, I'm open to seeing how this works out. And maybe this is a great thing for boxing. Maybe this could just be a new thing. It's like, yeah, you stack the undercards with showcases, but you could actually have before the fight, give people a free good fight so that they can say, hmm, I like that guy. That Caleb Plant guy is very good. I want to tune into this. You know, and not just two guys who don't have world titles or, you know, like Juan Geraldes versus Argenis Mendez. You know, I think Geraldes fought um um Juan, uh, Jose Barrego last year, uh under the uh in the Mayweather McGregor, and then oh no, actually the right, main event did, was yeah. Dulorme and Ugas, and it's like, yeah, that's yep. a good fight, but Caleb Plant versus Mike Lee is actually better than that. So Well I don't know. Caleb
0: Plant has more star potential and it's a bigger name, but it's Mike Lee.
1: I, I get that, but you're thinking from the perspective of a hardcore boxing fan. So take that. I, hat I off think because the boxing press just tears that good. fight
0: apart. I, th- I think that's sort of a double edged. I think you know. I think it'll. It's good that it's going to get a lot of eyeballs, and it's just fine that it's not going to get like super scrutinized by the boxing press as it would if it were like the only big fight in it, one weekend. I think it's it's not the worst way to get his name out there again, be part of a big promotion. You well, know, he's going to be in front it's a of
1: a world title fight, uh, and and Mike Lee. May not be good, okay, but he's undefeated, and you can sell that. And he's also been in commercials. Anyway, um, the the what, the other complaint I have about it, and look again, I'll say this again: this could all be irrelevant because they don't care. But Caleb Plant may wind up fighting in an empty arena, which is not so good for enjoyment on TV. You know, when the crowd is quiet and there's nobody there. Uh, maybe I don't know. Um, I don't think
0: I don't think they announced the venues yet for either, right? So, <clears throat> do we know f- for sure that it's going to be a split site?
1: I, I don't know. I like I, yeah, I don't know. It, it I, has been announced I, yet. My understanding is that it's it's going to be a split site, or sorry, <laughs> not, it's not going to be a split site. Sorry, that is that, which is why I just said it, it's going to be an empty arena. And like one of the things I was thinking of, oh, and this do, is just, total yeah. conspiracy theory stuff, but I think PBC has obligations to Pacquiao's uh, prospects, and that's why. Caleb Plant's not going to get the co-feature uh, because Jack Tapora might get that 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 um, distinction yeah. instead. Um, Unless he misses weight again. They should just do the fight. Like, who cares? Anyway, let's yeah. talk about the fights this coming week. They can week. have a,
0: a backup opponent, uh, a weight class up. Yeah, Speaking like
1: of, that. the World Boxing Super Series resumes this weekend. Um, whoever wrote in the notes for the fights and wrote Ivan Berchik's name, you spelled it wrong. Bad job oh, I didn't by you.
0: even att- I didn't even attempt to spell his name correctly. It sounds like I you was... just
1: sounded it out, and you're like, hmm, close enough. These are all the sounds that make in letters
0: name. into my keyboard, and yeah,
1: there, there's but... definitely enough consonants. Um, anyway, Ivan Barenchik is going to fight Josh Taylor uh, in the main event uh, in Glasgow this weekend, um, which is a country, I mean a city in Scotland. Um, now. Ivan Baranchik and Josh Taylor, we may know about them, but I, I think that there's probably a lot of people out there, and even with Dazen giving these guys both some exposure, and chick has been on, um, it's actually Baranchik, who's fought on Showbox a while. Not everybody watches Showbox. Um, so, like, heading into this fight, those who are in the know are excited about this fight. But for someone who maybe isn't, like, like these guys aren't on their radar, who, to you, who is the favorite here and why?
0: Oh, I love this fight so much. Um, I think Josh Taylor definitely has to be the favorite, and he is the favorite. But Baron is a relentless physical guy. I think sort of a oversimplified comparison would be uh, Ruslan Provodnikov. We've seen him in wars before. He had an absolute war with Abel Ramos on Abel Ramos on Showbox a few years ago in 2017. Check that fight out if you haven't seen it. I, I mentioned that whenever I mentioned Shrek, but it was just such an entertaining fight. And then he fought Peter Petrov, destroyed him. Uh, well, I say that Abel Ramos fight was like back and forth action. Went the distance, he was knocked down in the fight. But then he fought Peter Petrov, destroyed him, fought Yigit, <laughs> Read a Reddit Boxing Zone, Anthony Yigit. Uh, destroyed him in the first round of the WBSS, so he's he's that type of guy. He comes with the reputation, technically not the best, but real physical guy, real power puncher. Really pushes his foot on the gas pedal every second of the fight. Josh Taylor, very good amateur, uh, fought in the World Series of Boxing. Only has 14 pro fights, but has uh, experience in the World Series of Boxing as well. Big frame for 140. Very likely will end up at 147 sooner than later. Um, has a very good win over Victor Postal on his resume, just annihilated Ryan Martin in his last fight. Slick technical fighter. So yeah, you have a boxer, puncher, and Josh Taylor against, you know, an all out brawler in Barnshack. On paper, that looks like that should be Taylor's style, that it should be technically strong enough to win, but Baronshak is gonna physically push him. It should be an entertaining
1: fight no matter what happens. I can't wait. Um, I'll have a slightly different check or take on this. The favorite here is Josh Taylor. And the reason why is because Ivan Baranchik... I just changed the way um, I said his name. Baranchik is completely overrated. And you compared him to Rustam Provodnikov. And that's not like a compliment. It's like, yeah, the guy's kind of not skilled. He's like all aggression. Um, You said he blew out Petrov. The lie detector determined that that was a lie. That did not happen. Um, definitely Baranchik won that fight, but Petrov was moving up in weight, I think, coming up, uh, coming in on short notice, and he gave well, Baranchik some still,
0: help. <laughs> Bl- eh, yeah. Brancic gets hit in every fight he's in, but I think I would still call it a blowout. I mean, he knocked him down in 1-2-6 and got the knockout in the eighth. I mean, that was uh, – <clears throat> uh, Sorry, Petrov was uh, a replacement opponent as well That was was a separate um, I I, I can't remember off the top of my head who the original opponent was but
1: uh, Anthony Gigot
0: Was he? Yes sir Oh wow, I totally forgot that But yeah, Petrov was a replacement opponent too So uh, give him a little bit of uh, Yeah, but anyway, back to you
1: Look, when a guy jumps up in weight To fight you um, Yeah, you gotta blow him out and then Yigit also tagged Baranchik a lot. Like, he, I think Baranchik is tailor-made for a guy like Josh Taylor who has skill, who has um, length, who who knows how to use it. I, I think Taylor's going to carve him up. Um, if If he doesn't, well, then it'll be a, another example of a British fighter who looks good, who's unable to deal with pressure, which we've seen quite a lot. So, but on paper, Josh Taylor... Perhaps I don't know about the most talented guy in the world boxing super series at 140 because because um, Progre is ridiculous. But in terms of like technical skill, like the the one who's most maybe has the lowest floor in the sport, it's probably Taylor. He seems to do a lot of things right. Um, he could also very well be Luke Campbell 2.0. That would not be shocking. But I, I don't think Baranchik is going to be the the guy to figure that out for us. I think Taylor, who himself has struggled in the past, that not does not you know even act like Josh Taylor's like this amazing fighter that's proven a, a ton already. Um, but I, I just think Baranchik is like really this was the worst case scenario for him in terms of matchups in the tournament, and um, I really don't see him just like bulldozing through Josh Taylor. Um, Let's move on to Naolya Inoue, who is the most over just kidding. Um Naoya Inouye Inoue <laughs> versus Emmanuel Rodriguez. Um is, is this the real final of the one hundred and eighteen pound bracket? Or like is there just really no hope that Inoue is gonna be challenged um anytime soon? I you know, it's a good question. I mean, is
0: this the real final yes? Because this, on paper, is a much harder fight for Inway than No Nodito Donaire. Um, but we don't really know that much about Emmanuel Rodriguez. I'm sort of surprised. Like a lot of people said coming in, they rate him very highly. I, I don't really know enough about him to even know why. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have a better take than that. I mean, uh, any version of Emmanuel Rodriguez should be a better taste. Uh, test than Nodino Donaire for in a way. I mean, Nodino Donaire really like stumbled into the final by circumstance uh, from like two injuries from we his know opponent. You Rodriguez so. is
1: like a PBC guy, right? Does that change your pick? I think it does. I
0: I really don't even remember. I mean, I I guess he fought on the PBC, but I just... I don't know. I, I just don't have a whole lot to say about him as an opponent. He also made that,
1: Paul Butler know, like crap his pants.
0: Did that happen? Is Google that it. like? I know that that's don't always the float around the sport about like fighters crapping their pants. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to Google that right now. Hello, Google machine. Anyway, do you have do you have more to say about it? I really just don't have much to say about it. I mean, in a very good, but sort of frustrating that he hasn't, like, in a pound for pound sense, had good opponents to face. Although he, you know, he keeps racking up belts. I'll say that
1: dimensions. someone He's made a good, stupid but, take in, in, yeah. uh, in, in Discord today that in has got like this amazing resume, and I am like. I have been, like, seriously, okay? I don't want to be, like, some like pretentious hipster. But, like, I caught wind of Inoue in, like, a second or third fight. And I've watched every single one of his fights. I Like, I've been on Inoue's train since then. Like, because Kazuto Ioka, it wasn't him. So, I was looking for the next one, and luckily, Inoue popped up. And so, I've been on his train, and I love Inoue. You know, I would put him in the list of guys that I actually would say, okay, I'm a fan of that guy. But... Just a ridiculous take that his resume is anything like extraordinary because it's not. You know, I I I can make that take because, or I can I can I can talk people into um, them believing that he actually has a good resume, but really he doesn't. It's not that great. Um, Emmanuel Rodriguez is a um, is a really nice fight though. Um, but like if you yeah, look it up. Like Butler I had like a log in there.
0: Horrifying.
1: Um, you say that, okay, you say that you just called Paul Butler taking a crap in the middle of a fight, horrifying, but that is not as horrifying as Billy Joe Saunders fighting chef at Yeah,
0: I'm speechless. I mean, WBO, what's for anyone who complains about the w, WBA or the WB, any of the sanctioning bodies, it's like, here, here's a trick. Just pretend the WBA's regular title doesn't exist or just don't count it as a real title. And then they're not too bad. The WBC has a lot of good things going for it. It's like the WBO, Jesus Christ. I mean, they'll just hand titles to top rank or Frank Warren fighters for no reason. I mean, what's the point of this fight even happening? I mean, they just, like, <laughs> decided Billy Joe Saunders needed to move up in weight. Let's just give him a belt against, you know, a, an absolute less-than-nothing opponent. I, I, I don't know. I mean, do, do you have more to say
1: than that? No. Uh, it's a terrible mismatch, um, but Saunders could get a title, so that's cool. Um, Saunders, one of the most mismanaged fighters in the world, maybe? Or is he just, like, a victim of of himself? I don't know. My,
0: my premise, my theory with Saunders has been, you know, he's undefeated, and he's looking to cash that out at some point, or, you know, maybe even give himself a chance to win. But, um, I, I mean, I think he feels at some point he's going to make an eight-figure payday, So why bother risking a loss against a lower-level opponent? And, you know, if he's got a chance against David Lemieux, he says, great. I can outbox David Lemieux, no problem. Other fights he's more reluctant to take. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen to him at this point. I mean, he's 29, which is still relatively young, but it's amazing how many years of his career have just seemed to be completely fleshed down the toilet. Um, I don't know. It's like, where do you go? I guess he'll have a title, but he's not going to face any of the top guys at 168 i think it's it's hard to foresee him taking a colin smith fight there's not a whole lot going on with the <laughs> frank warren stable Callum smith <laughs> not a whole lot going on with the top rank stable if you want to even expand it to that with like frank warren's co-promote deal with top rank all the other 168s are with the pbc and um You know, he's not going to fight them. So I I don't really know what he does. I mean, you know, I'll I'll just back up quickly before before I send it back to you. It's like we talked about with Pacquiao, like coming out of the Broner fight, he could have continued to fight lower level opponents. Like he could have fought. There are a handful of guys, the PBC side, like could have fought. um, Like I said, um, uh, oh, God, I'm I'm playing on his name. I'm sorry. But uh, the name I mentioned before that he fought the undefeated guy from Texas. Um, Omar Figueroa, you know, if he had paid um, Mar- Marcos Maidana enough money, he probably could have gotten him in. I mean, you could really start to pull in some wild card names. Could have done enough against lower level guys, but he's like, you know what? I want to make more money than that facing the top level guys. Billy Joe Saunders, it just seems like when you look at his resume, he is fine fighting shit opponents for little money and just keeping that undefeated record and slowly building his his reputation. I mean, eventually he'll get a big fight. I mean. Uh, I'm just rambling at this point. Anyway, your your thoughts on Sandra? Is or anything I said?
1: Uh, no. So we will talk about the undercard, which features Joe Joyce versus Alexander Ustinov. Does anyone really care about this fight? Because it seems like Joe Joyce moves out of the PBC um, stable, goes over to sign with Frank Warren, and now nobody's talking about his fight. Like. I, I, neither of us is British, so it's going to be hard for us to like really speak on this. But like, I wonder if there's any buzz in the UK about this fight.
0: Yeah, I mean, people keep thinking he's going to fight Daniel Dubois, so that's the fight they're excited to build up to. I, I guess
1: I've just messaged a Brit. The answer is no. Yeah, I mean, Ustinov lost his last two fights. He's coming a
0: lot, uh, coming off a loss against you know cruiserweight. Oh, yeah, that's White the Hunter.
1: problem. It's because he's fighting Ustinov. I,
0: I'm still just confused about the whole thing with Joe Joyce going to the UK. I mean, you know, or going to the Frank Warren, you know, stable now. I thought he was a PPC guy. I I don't really get it. Joe Joyce has some potential. I think it's likely that he will, you know, survive long enough undefeated to get a shot against Tyson Fury. I mean, that you would think would be the goal with him, you know, being on the Frank Warren side of the street. That would be the, the fight that he'd be building up to.
1: I, I think it's because he's scared I don't know. of F.A. Jogba. They told him he had to fight him, and he's like, "No thanks, I'm not." Yeah, I don't,
0: I don't really know what they're trying to build up to here. I mean, I know he wanted the Luis Ortiz fight. That fight's not happening, so I don't know. Maybe he thought, you know, he, he he wasn't getting the names he wanted, so he went back over there. I, I don't know. I, I don't have anything more to say about it.
1: Anyway, moving on. Deontay Wilder will be fighting Dominic Brazil in the main event of the Showtime card this weekend. Um, realistically, though, like if we actually look at this matchup. Um this obviously isn't Wilder fighting Joshua or fury again, okay, so what does he actually get from beating Brazil? um a
0: lot of money <laughs> a lot of money for his next fight sure. Oh no, Brazil is as far as like the heavyweight picture, there's so much competition over B sides. You have the three top guys, Joshua Wilder and fury, and then they're all sort of fighting over you know who is below them that they can fight uh at this point brazil really not that bad of an opponent you know one loss to joshua one of the top three guys so you, you know he's in this whole class of fighters who have like one loss and it has come against one of the top guys like dillian white is in that grouping as well um I think Dillian White, you'd still rank above Brazil, but, you know, pretty good in the top 10, only one loss, and it came against Joshua. He has three fights since then, all three by knockout. It's, you know, it's just a fight that makes sense. If he's a B-side to Wilder, and he's for sure a B-side times a 1,000, like— Um, I'll get into that in a minute but I did the media conference call this week out to ask both Brazil and Wilder questions and it's like the questions for Wilder didn't have anything to do with Brazil (laughs) like some people like you know it's like it's not like no one asked him about Brazil but for the most part it's like this is a Deontay Wilder show so it's like if you have a thing where it's such a, a towering A side compared to the B side it's like you know i i think brazil is enough of a b-side it makes sense he's big he only has the one loss it's sort of a forgivable loss in the sense it's against joshua he's six eighty two 82 inch reach it works it works as a promotion i'm expecting we'll sell out the barclays center anyway your thoughts
1: before i give my thoughts i just got a notification on my phone and like this is this is an example of why this thurman pacquiao fight is just brilliant uh Someone commented in my thread that says, good fight, battle of the two best resumes in 147. Like, we laugh at that. Like, what planet is this dude living on? But like, this is, you know, when we talk about... I, well, I also I,
0: get what he means. I mean, there's a very literal interpretation of that. Well,
1: I, I talk a lot about how we're in a bubble. Like, hardcore fans, you, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are um, you are a hardcore fan. And we live in a bubble where we think that the, the echo chamber that we traffic in is what actually is the popular narrative in boxing. But really, it's not. You know, the people who are the casual fans who don't really talk about boxing that much because they're, you know, got kids and stuff to deal with, you know— that's the, like that's the kind of stuff that you may expect to hear from them. But anyway, about Dominic Brazil fighting Deontay Wilder. I think what Wilder hopes to gain here is um really of course it's a it's a big payday. You know, you're right about that. He's going getting paid a lot of money from fighting Dominic Brazil. But I I think more importantly, Wilder is has got to build himself up to rise above Joshua and Fury because He's the one that's actually going out and challenging himself. And he's fighting a guy who has the best highlight reel. Like, if you look at the the highlight reels of uh, Tom Schwartz and uh, Andy Ruiz, and then you look at Dominic Brazil, he's the guy that's fighting, whether you believe it or not, the toughest guy of the bunch. And it wasn't supposed to be this way because Joshua was supposed to fight Jarrell Miller, who, I mean, I guess is better than Brazil. But you you look at, at this fight, and like Wilder's out to make a statement... And, like, let's not let's not forget that Brazil's also fought Anthony Joshua. And while that was a different version of Brazil and maybe he's gotten better or maybe he's gotten worse since then, people love to compare these things. They love to compare uh, performances between common opponents. And taking a look at Deontay Wilder, and I brought this up earlier, you know, just kind of, like, it, it wasn't a, in a way to compare Barrios to um, Progre because I think that Progre is vastly better than him. But... It, the one thing was I, I meant to do was to actually just kind of compliment Barrios in saying like, hey, you know, is a very good fighter. It took him eight rounds to do this. Barrios is doing it in two. Obviously, Velasco maybe is a much different fighter at this point. And the same may be true for Brazil. But also, Brazil could be a better fighter at this point. Who knows? Um, but Brazil does have some, you know, so, uh, some good wins heading into this fight. And like, that... A win like within a round or two for Wilder, really like I think Wilder's at this point where whatever he does is going to be news, and like we talk about or boxing fans sometimes talk about how like oh nobody knows who Wilder is yeah but if he knocks out Brazil I, or Brazil were to knock him out it's major news every time um but you know people think that it doesn't get credit because Eddie Hearn made a video asking a few people if they knew who Deontay Wilder is and they said no so I think wilder gets the best placeholder fight between him fury and joshua and it elevates his position in the pecking order between the three of them in terms of who's gonna rise to be the the guy at heavyweight um and you know it just gives him another chance to be wilder and what is that well he says crazy things and he swings like nuts i mean like Jared Hurd, by the way, fought like Deontay Wilder last 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 night. Like there were rounds where he was just like throwing punches. I'm like, wow, that, that looks like Deontay Wilder in the ring right now. Uh, anyway, um, do you give Brazil? A, no, 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 not that you do because Brazil certainly has a percentage chance of winning. My question is, what percent do you give uh, in terms of a chance? Do you give Brazil in winning this fight? Yeah, I
0: mean, and that's a good way to frame it because, like, you know talked a lot about like Spence Porter it's hard you know Porter is a good fighter he's in like the top 10 or top 5 at 147 but it's hard to see a way that he beats Spence it's you know you just see laid out it you don't see it <laughs> Wilder is always so vulnerable there's definitely a chance he could lose um i don't know probably somewhere between 1 and 4 and 1 and 10 something like that between a you know 25% chance and a 10% chance mm. something like that so you know, which, again, it's like when you're talking about the amount of money <laughs> that, that Wilder has, has left on the table by taking this fight, um, you know, yeah, it's it's always a gamble when Wilder fights. You know, it's like we it, it, heard that's a great example. You know, it's like Heard was beating guys <laughs> until his lack of skill caught up with him. And at some point, Wilder's just going to lose a fight clean. and I don't think anyone's going to be surprised, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a risk anytime he fights, but he's for sure the favorite.
1: You want to ask me the question?
0: Uh, right back at
1: you, then. All right. Let me tell you something. 25%, 10%, that's way too low. It's 50%. I think Deontay Wilder is a type of fight fighter where I, I, it sounds so, like, sports talking heady. Like, Deontay Wilder is the type of guy who's in the first one in the gym, last one out. Um, no, but I, I think Wilder is so vulnerable that against Brazil against most of the guys in the top 10, these fights aren't automatic for Wilder. The holes are there. And, you know, somebody's bound to get them. And, like, the, obviously, what really tips it in the scale is, like, Wilder's legitimately one of the few fighters in the sport that needs one punch, and then the fight is over. Like, that, that number is super low in boxing. It's much lower than, than you think in terms of guys with that kind of power. And I think that's what has Wilder get such a you know become a favorite. But like realistically, I could see Brazil outboxing him. If Brazil, and Brazil showed against Joshua, he has a hell of a chin. He took some huge shots from 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 Anthony Joshua, who is a guy who lifts a lot of weights. He's a very muscular guy. Brazil took a lot of shots before ultimately he got put away. And I think if if Wilder goes in trying to box and like this is real interesting to me because like, I want to see what Wilder looks like after the Fury fight because if you are in Wilder's camp and you did not realize we have some major problems on our hands, if uh, coming out of the Tyson Fury fight, like, I don't know, that person is incompetent. But, like, at the end of the day, Brazil is like Joe Joyce. These guys are like underwater fighting. And, like, Deontay Wilder is one of the elite athletes at heavyweight. And maybe that'll carry the day for Wilder, but like I really give Brazil a high percentage of winning this fight, just by nature of a, it's a heavyweight. B, he's got power. And C, I don't know. Maybe the speed throws him off. Like you know how sometimes you throw a changeup and batters are swinging miss because they're expecting fastball. What if Wilder's expecting fastball and Brazil's curveball just gets him? You got to think about these things, man.
0: Well, that's where it fits in uh, the ten percent, twenty-five percent. I mean, I, I, I think going by brazil's last few fights i just he's a lesser athlete than wilder wilder has found a way to land that big punch yeah good point about brazil's chin you know again it's it's um i don't know arguing over percentages i think is is bad content
1: but no it's not trust me you you don't know what (laughs) we we both
0: both see a pathway to brazil winning But at least I favor Wilder, even if you take it as a 50-50 fight.
1: Tom, I got a master's degree in content. You know how many podcasts (laughs) I listen to? You know how much ESPN (laughs) I watch? Do, 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 Do you know what, like, I'm putting in the work. I know what good content is. You know what's good content? Right now, we find a random boxing fan. We say, this is Kiko Martinez. He's fighting one of these guys. We show him a picture of all the Gary Russells. Do you think that they could pick the right one?
0: Oh boy, that's a good question.
1: Um, like, at <laughs> I, this point, I, I
0: love. I find it hilarious that they're doing this fight because like, it's like on paper there's an argument for why it makes sense, but uh, look, Kiko Martinez fought, uh, uh, sorry, fought Josh Warrington in 2017, back when we thought Josh Warrington was just terrible, <laughs> you know, and got a majority decision. It's okay, if you still in- think that lost a majority decision in the fight, and it's like, wow, he got he got a draw in one scorecard with Josh Warrington. Josh Warrington, we didn't think he was that good. Well, that's just another data point that says he's not very good. <laughs> but then he beats Lee Selby and Carl Frampton, and now he's like number two in the division after Leo Santa Cruz. So um I you know it's like okay, so based off that one data point it's like, oh well, you got a majority decision with Josh Warrington a few fights ago uh Kiko Martinez is back but (laughs) Kiko Martinez is washed it's a bad fight the the bar of success is for Russell to stop him impressively you know it's just another you know it's like the punchlines just continue with Gary Russell as far as being like the least interested fighter in the sport fighter who continues to squander his potential um you know he, he he's tried to play the victim and said that you know the fight I want is Leo Santa Cruz and Al Heyman won't make that fight I don't really know what to say about that. I mean, Gary Russell Jr., in my opinion, still has some good fights ahead of him. Abner Maris has said he wants the fight. If he goes up to 130, he can fight um, Javante Davis. He can have a big fight against Leo Santa Cruz at whatever time that fight actually happens. I do not think Kiko Martinez is going to be the fight to challenge him.
1: Yeah, you know, the mystery, the enigma of Gary Russell Jr. is just, yeah, you know, it's it's almost at at this point like um like just we're beating a dead horse with uh, Gary Russell Jr. because yes he's wasted his potential yes Gary Russell Jr. was um considered one of the top prospects in boxing I mean the guy w- was incredible early in his career and then he loses to Lomachenko and then just kind of like decides oh, maybe I don't really want to box that much. And so he does this one fight a year. I mean, last year, uh, t- technically, if if Gary Russell, rather than taking these long breaks, actually was taking like four to five months between every fight, like he'd have a pretty good resume. You know, like the JoJo Diaz win, which was last year, was pretty damn good. And then um, obviously this fight isn't great with um with Kiko Martinez, but like you know, it's not like he's he's fighting like a guy with 12 losses you know he's not going that far back in the drawing board although Kiko Martinez probably has close to 12 losses at this point but anyway um I I don't know there's nothing much to talk about like I'm gonna stop really caring about Gary Russell until he actually can fight more than once a year you think that's fair
0: I'm just waiting for him to have a big fight I mean it's so frustrating none of these fights have gotten signed it's like yeah I can understand what
1: for you uh go for it you're gonna love this Who's fighting the more competitive uh, opponent, Gary Russell or Oscar Valdez?
0: Ooh, well, uh, uh, definitely Gary Russell, but that's not saying much. Yeah, I love Oscar Valdez was signed to fight like the number 115 fighter in his weight class, and then uh, they canceled the fight, and it was like now he's fighting like the 131 rank in his division. I i don't know but i guess that guy has a wbo ranking which means ever so much um yeah that that's ridiculous they made that fight i mean they're not even trying i mean kiko martinez again it's like he's fought a bunch of world champions and he has a majority decision loss to uh josh warrington so you know <laughs> i guess that's the rationale but not too good
1: um fs1 is replaying the the herd um williams fight from last night so i got it on in the background we're in round two. <laughs> um, Juan Geraldes is going to fight Arjanis Mendez on the undercard. Um, good good enough fight. Uh, Mendez to me, is really past it. But Geraldes isn't quite there yet where we can demand that he fight better opposition. Um, and, and fighting Mendes is a better opponent than fighting whoever the hell Oscar Valdez is fighting. So, um, you know, he's got that going for him. I mean, I, literally, Oscar Valdez is really like, a martyr of boxing. Like, he's basically making it pretty acceptable and pretty cool for all these guys to fight the level of opposition that they're fighting, because, you know what? At the end of the day, it is not as bad as whoever Oscar Valdez is fighting. By the way, I love Oscar (laughs) Valdez, too, so I hate to say this stuff, but I gotta call it the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, it's... Top rank
0: really doesn't give a fuck. Like, if they... If they're... they, They... Good... You know, like, I'm not saying their matchmaking is worse than other people. Like... They've put um, Jose Ramirez in fights where he was at risk. Like, you know, lots of their guys, like, they'll put them at risk. Like, you know, but uh, if they're putting a guy in a soft touch, like, just setup fight, they don't give a fuck. (laughs) Like, like they're not going to risk an upset. Like, they're like, if the point of this fight is for you to get a knockout, we don't care. We're going to, like, they will put just the shittiest opponents of anyone. Yeah, well, I
1: mean, look, do do you see what happened to... Fazludin Gabe Nazarov last night. Do you see what happened when Oscar Valdez fought Genesis Cervania? Like they 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 don't take risks specifically for, for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I can't I can't wait till Michael Collin fights somebody that's that's good because we're gonna be like, whoa, it's gonna be a huge decline in his competition going forward.
0: Yeah, Alex Saucedo, that's another one. I'm like, why did you take the Maurice Hooker fight? Like, that was always looked like a knockout loss, but I don't know. If someone thought that Why was a good Why did you take idea. the Lenny
1: Z fight? That always looked like a knockout loss. Anyway, um, man, Julian Williams beat the hell out of Jared Hurd in the second round. My God. Um, what did you think of PBC doing the 10-bell salute for Harold Letterman? I thought that was a, a nice little face turn for them to really pay homage to someone as beloved as Harold Letterman, Letter- Harold Letterman, who unfortunately lost his battle with cancer.
0: Um. Yeah. I guess it's a classy I don't know. I don't think that's the main headline about him dying. Is that the PBC was cool about it or or whatever? But um, yeah. I, I don't know. He he's not alive anymore. I, I feel bad. I mean, I have talked to him <laughs> talked to him a few times. I I I was sort of hoping we would just sort of pun on this. I mean, all, all the respect for him. I just I feel like you know this isn't really the proper venue for for like you know honoring honoring the dead. Uh, uh, but, I'm not honoring you know, nobody. But I'm he's also been,
1: not going to disrespect him. I, like you know, yeah. we got to mention him. Like Harold,
0: a, yeah, a character in the sport for years. I think anyone way who's to worked it. in the sport in any way has talked to him, has interacted with him in some way. Um, <laughs> oh. You know,
1: um, yeah, he's yeah, you know, Harold, a good guy. Everyone had good things to say about him. I never talked to Harold because obviously Harold um, only showed up to HBO fights and wasn't around a lot. You know, here on he LA, actually like he actually showed up to Coast. like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was, was there working, but the like East I'm Coast. not going go to go all Like him while he would he's working. be at like non-HBO cards. I mean, he was at
0: like every level. Of, I mean, he was just he was ever present at boxing events.
1: Yeah, on the East Coast, not over here. Yeah, yeah, East Coast. Um, so yeah, that that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, we did a long show. I hope you guys uh, are happy. Um, shout out to, um, the Patreon feed. Shout out to all the stuff you can get over there. You got daily podcasts or a bunch of long form podcasts. You got a newsletter that you can get. Um, that's all over at patreoncom slash Sunday puncher. Um, shout out to FS one. Who's airing the replay of the herd Williams fight. It, it doesn't hurt any less to see somebody as nice as Jarrett heard. Take a loss. Um, but too bad, that's boxing. Um, so yeah, um, Tom, thanks for coming on. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Tom, did you enjoy it? I did. Well,
0: I enjoyed the boxing this weekend. As I said, Heard Williams, my fight of the year so far. I love the fight. Um, and next week, lots of stuff to look forward to. I love the World Boxing Super Series card. I'm going to be at Wilder Brazil. Um, you know, exciting to see home. two heavyweights fighting. A uh, bunch of good prospects on the undercard. Gary Antoine Russell is a really good prospect. Uh, Juan Giraldo, you said, that should be a good fight. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Just a uh, fun, fun weekend of boxing.
1: Hey. Yeah, that it, it. You know, this weekend was really good. Um, the the ESPN co- fights were both very, very predictable, but um, lots of action. <laughs> but they were they were basically repeats of really good fights that had already happened. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you got the same thing twice. So, uh, I can't complain The Heard, as you said, Heard Williams, very good fight. And the next week, also, we got some good fights. So, thanks for listening. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. And we'll be back next week.
0: Yeah, bounce, bounce. My boy, my boy. My boy, my boy, my boy. My boy. My boy. Yeah, man. Hey, love. uh, yo, okay. Concrete since day one. Ain't no time to make up. Ain't no time on that hoop. Like, baby, where the A cup?